0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is another Bolt Action podcast. Over the Christmas holidays, I have been inundated with feedback from you, the listener, who've messaged the Cast Dice Facebook page. Again, I will talk about this at the end of the episode. And the most common request slash bit of feedback that I have gotten from all of you, and I mean it's lots of different people, is please do more Bolt Action content. Now, yes, we will be covering other games very soon, as promised in the last episode, with some some old favorites and some new guests. But we are also going to continue on the Bolt Action train, not only because it's one of my favorite games, if not my favorite game to play, but also because it's the feedback I'm getting from you guys. Now, I'm sure we'll, we'll hit some other games along the way shortly, But for those of you who are excited about Bolt Action, this one's for you. Now, if we're gonna talk Bolt Action, there are some people in the world who are absolutely known. They are voices in the community who are known. And today's guest is one of them. And we are going to dig into something that is on every Bolt Action tabletop. Now, my guest today has won a pile of events. From across the United Kingdom, in the bolt action world, and other game systems, he is one of the main voices of the Juggernaut podcast, and has by far the most distinctive laugh in podcasting. Of course, I'm talking a bit about the big bad Toaf. Toph. Tofer, welcome to Cast Dice, man. It's you awesome just to cut have that you. Laugh out, and I can't hold it in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing to me, Brad? That's not fair. Sorry. Just set me up like that. <laughs> And there it is. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, you, you know what? Well, at least no, I'd rather be known for my laugh. You know?
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, well, Topher, man. It has been a long time coming. You and I have been talking about going on each other's shows for years. And thank you very much for coming on Cast Eyes today. Finally. Right? (sighs) I mean, we literally.
1: Just we we live on the opposite side of the world. Time zones suck. We've both got, you know, Mm -hmm. obligations and lives and stuff. So this this is what, the third time I think we've tried?
0: At least. (laughs) Right. So Uh. quick, record
1: a podcast before one of us has to run away.
0: Exactly. Now, one of the things when I've talked about bolt action topics in recent years is I often get feedback from people who say, oh, well, you know, that isn't how it is where I am. Uh, For example, I did how to build a competitive list. I had a couple of conversations with some people in different places. One of them was in Victoria. And when we talked about things you should probably include in a competitive list or to keep in mind when building a competitive list, we talked about things that kind of fit our meta. And we set it on the episode. This is based on sort of the community that we play in here. Now, that's different in other places, but I immediately got an email or a message uh, from our old friend Alistair Unicom of the old Home Guard radio show and my old gaming club here in Melbourne, who said, you've missed all of these things and listed them down. But those <laughs> weren't things that appear in our meta. Now, that often colors the conversations that I know that Topher would have on his show and I have on this show. Because we are in very different places. I'm in Australia, he's in the UK, and clearly um, the meta is radically different in those two places. However, one thing, or a couple of things, do not change no matter where you play. And the main one of those is simply the rules. And one of the areas that we have both noticed uh, as bolt action players over the years is... People's understanding of a couple of the rules, particularly around terrain, because whether you're playing in the UK, the US, Australia, Ghana, China, it doesn't matter, is your bolt action tabletop will have terrain on it. And the way that your units interact with that terrain, the way that you use that terrain to your advantage on the tabletop as a general, and what your opponent is doing on the tabletop using that terrain, that is universal, that does not change. So that will be the focus of today's show. Now, that's not always easy to do with an audio podcast, right, Tuf?
1: I mean, this was part of our discussion, isn't it? Because terrain is such, such, a, such a physical part of the game, and and it's hard to we've struggled because I've tried to we've tried to cover this on our on our podcast mm-hmm. because you know it's it's such a big part of the game how you do terrain. But how do you discuss something that's so physical and, and three dimensional in an audio medium? And like when people even when you're on like Facebook groups or Discord servers and or just messaging your friends and you I see people discussing terrain and they'll like make little diagrams and they'll say, Oh, if my models are in this this like you know, this formation and the, the fire's coming from here, do I get terrain? And it's always like, Well, yeah, in that very specific diagram that mm-hmm. you've just made, but in the reality of like moving models around a table and in the like the in the moment, oh it's just... <laughs> It's Agreed. a different conversation, you know, it's because it, 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 the world's not made up of perfect perfect triangles and angles and all of that. You know, just try and discuss with your friend whether you're in ARC or not with your t- anti-tank gun. And suddenly, well, just standing on the other side of the table has two different perspectives. Times that by a board's worth of terrain and we've
0: all got mm. a headache. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, and, dude, just figuring out angles on guns, I mean, this isn't Warhammer 6th edition where you can bust out the 45-degree angle. And I know, yes, you can for some things like guns and tanks because they have maybe 90-degree angles on the front of them and you're able to extrapolate it. But it's still not always clear, is it? it,
1: it the, the point is, yeah, it's just once you're at the table and you, you're playing a game and you're halfway through a game, you don't want, Do you want to get the protractor out. And really start doing it. You just want to. You just want to keep going, don't you? So, like, at least me. If it's borderline, I'm just like, hey, just go for it. Exactly. Because, right. like, yeah. And so when, so these, we're going to have a discussion that I'm going to be very,
0: like, you know, analytical. Like,
1: Here's what the rules say. Blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, well, in reality, when you actually hit the table, <laughs> it may be mm-hmm. completely different.
0: Especially if you're playing with people from different areas. Now, in Australia, there's about a million miles of Mad Max land between each city. So. Getting to play in other places and people in other uh, situations, you know, doesn't happen all the time. Like, we do like to get out and play games, although uh, in the COVID era, jumping to other cities to play isn't always easy, depending on where you are. But you in the UK, I mean, you have quite a few urban areas uh, sort of crammed together in a place that you can easily get to. I hear you guys on your podcast talking about going to events in different parts of the country, um, going up to Scotland, going to Wales, going to all these other places. And one of the things that you would run into is you know, slightly different interpretations of the rules. Everyone reads the rule book and plays the game as they think it should be played. I mean, no one's trying to get a shifty one over you. Well, most of them aren't. But <laughs> we
1: don't let like those people. We r- we
0: eject them straight away. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, you know, having having a conversation about what terrain works, I mean, that is really going to fix a lot of problems before the game starts. So no, no matter if you're playing Steve from around the block or someone else uh, from, you know, another country, um, you know, Topher, for example, um, you should communicate prior to the game. I think the clearest thing to do is, as you are setting up, have a few uh, important little chats about what the for example, what naming each piece of terrain on the table so people understand what's rough ground, what's dense terrain. Yeah. Um, when when,
1: when yeah. I'm TOing events, the first if someone says, Can I have a ruling, the first question I asked is what have you already agreed? exactly because it's it's all good me coming going right i'm to i'm the games master here we go here's what you got to do it but if you've already said that you're playing that wood as you know line of sight blocking dense cover hard cover whatever well then that's what you should be doing because you've already agreed to that um and a lot of the discussion goes comes down to well what did you agree it was in the first place is you know is all those barrels soft cover or hard cover you know Mm -hmm. for me i always go down to well can it stop a bullet If it can stop a bullet, it's hard. If it can't stop a bullet, it's soft. But that's just my interpretation. The the book kind of gives you some examples, but it's a big wide world out there. (laughs) Everyone reads it differently.
0: And we love to put weird stuff on bolt action tabletops as far as terrain goes, right? So (laughs) that communication is important. You know, whether you're playing on somebody's U boat pen table, or uh, a landing strip in the middle of the desert, it doesn't matter. You should have a conversation about that down that that parked airplane. What is that? that U-boat con tower. what is that? You know, have those conversations so people know exactly what it is um, because without fail, you're going to be trying to duck behind it, move around it, shoot over it, shoot through it in some cases, um, and that needs yeah. to be clear, right?
1: And, and the worst thing for both players, both is. If you do something that the opponent didn't think you could do, or if they do something to you that you didn't think that they could do, and then you go, "Oh God," Um, because it's so hard to reverse. Because, well, if you've been planning to do that for five turns now, <laughs> you can't really, you know, that's your whole game out the window, isn't it? Really, it is, and it's really, and it and it sucks because if you're winning the game, you don't want to win just because your opponent's made a boo boo and right. missed and un- interpreted terrain. You want to win because you've. You, you know, you've done better dice about tactics. You've been better tactically, mm-hmm. all those things. And the same one, if you want to lose, you want to lose because your opponent's outplayed. you not because they've, you know, janked the rules around. That's just feel badsies. I think it's the trademark term, is it not? <laughs> oh,
0: God. Feel badsies <laughs> is exactly the term. Um, yeah. But, yeah, those gotcha moments where uh, you're just like, get oh, that. Oh, that's Absolutely not good. suck.
1: And some yeah.
0: games are built around it. That's kind of why I play Bolt Action, and I really love Bolt Action, because the rules are simple, because they're relatively, quote-unquote, elegant compared to a lot of game systems. It means that you're not gotcha-ing people. It is a, you are playing, as you say, tactically to work things out, and that's how the tabletop is, or the battle is determined. And, you know, having some clear communication will eliminate, as you said, those those feel-badsies, because you just don't want them. Well, so as you just said, one of the things that we are really going to focus on today is maybe some of the intricacies of the rules around particular terrain features um, so that people understand them. Now, I have not been a little out of practice in recent years because of COVID lockdowns in Melbourne. Yes, we had a lot of lockdowns. Yes, I've talked about them a lot. But <laughs> what that means is up until recently, I have not had a ton of games outside of literally Easter last year. Uh, And the run up to it. So for me getting back on the bolt action tabletop recently and I've played two games uh, in the last couple of weeks and I have another one planned for this week coming up as we're playtesting submission packs. It has been a lot of crack, you know, cracking the book open double checking that I'm not confusing this with some other games that I've also played over the years. Because Bolt Action is similar in some ways to very old 40K. And I know that sometimes my uh, understanding of how terrain works in particular um, sort of bleeds into like Warhammer 3rd Ed. And so I get really confused because I'm old and that's what happens. And I know I'm not alone. And so when people no, go they're to they're play not. games or they just misunderstand little points about who can do what in what particular area. Yeah. So You you play enough games, it all gets blurred. (laughs) Exactly, right? Uh, But bolt action is fairly straightforward and so that's, I guess, one of the things we're going to talk about today is making sure that we clearly understand how each terrain piece works. Now, if I was to pick one particular area of terrain that I see people misplaying consistently, and that it is kind of my personal pet peeve, I think I'll start here, are roads. Roads (laughs) are fairly, quote unquote, straightforward. Because, (laughs) and and then they're not. Um, Roads are very clear in that, they literally say doubles movement for wheeled vehicles, double movement for track vehicles, has no effect for artillery or infantry. Now, people think, cool, I can move on the roads really far. Uh, For example, a wheeled vehicle can advance 24 inches because wheeled vehicles normally move 12. You double it, 24. But then they, you know, in moving 24, they make four turns, thinking I get to make twice as many turns because my movement's doubled. But that is not how it works. What roads allow you to do is double your movement but not the turns. So tracked vehicles can move nine inches with one 90 degree turn. Wheeled vehicles can move 12 inches with two 90 degree turns and half tracks can move nine inches with two 90 degree turns normally. Now on roads, that's doubled, but the number of turns doesn't change, which makes roads trickier to use than you would think. Because um, when people are zipping around the board, if you have a white you know, a wide highway straight down the middle of your board, no problem. You can shoot, you know, uh, if you're running with a wheeled vehicle, 48 inches, right? Four times 12 or double double 12. Perfect. You're there. No turns. However, um, if you're moving the 24, again, you can only make the, the, now I'm confusing myself, the two turns. Yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah.
1: So, so the, the, the double is only the distance. It's There's no other modifiers in play. So right. all it literally does is it changes your – your if it's a 12, it changes it to a 24. If it's a 9, it changes it to an 18. Yeah. Then and, otherwise, there's no changes. <laughs>
0: right. And if you right. run with the wheeled vehicle, of course, or with any vehicle, people can't dismount out of it. But it also changes if you run how many turns you make. So a tracked vehicle, when it runs, can make no turns. A wheeled and a half track vehicle, when they run, can make one turn. But if you are running on a road and uh, with a tracked vehicle, you can move 36 inches. But if there's a little bit of something in your way, now tracked vehicles can go through rubble in some cases, but that slows them down.
1: It, yeah, it's one of the, It's it's a simple. It's a simple to describe in that it's just a, it just alters your movement. Cool. But then it, it, the, the effect comes from when, all, when you extrapolate all the things that that lets you do. Yeah. If that makes sense. It so, if so for instance, if, you're, if you've are if you got units stuck in a truck and they're on the road um, and you want to jump out and shoot something, so the threat range is add 12 inches to it. So especially if you have something like an SMG totting squad, which is really, you see them everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. you put loads of SMGs awesome in the truck, you drive up to the enemy, you jump out. Ha-ha! Suddenly. so <laughs> fun. Exactly. If you put them in a truck, so suddenly, normally, it's 12-inch move, 6-inch disembark, 12-inch range for a 30-inch fret range. You yeah. sit there in a truck, you have 12 inches to so that, suddenly it's a 42-inch fret range. And the difference between 30 and 42 is actually really, really big. <laughs>
0: it's bigger it's, than you think it is. <laughs> Especially in a bolt-action tabletop. Like, it, it makes yeah. a huge difference.
1: Yeah. So, So when you see a road... If you either, if you've got, you go, ha ha, I can go on there and get extra speed. And the opponent's got to go, ha he can go on there, so he can get extra speed. But therefore, you both, if you're both thinking about it, well, that's when, that's when, the, that's when the game comes in. Because one person, one person thinks, does he go for it? And the other person goes, well, is that an obvious trap? Shall I spring? Shall I let him do it? Um, and, uh, and another part, which a lot of people always forget, is that if you want to benefit from the double movement on a road, your entire movement needs to be on that road. Thank you. And, and that was no my next talking point. Yes. <laughs> so it's, it's it, 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 sometimes it can actually be quite tricky, especially, you know, like boards with like bocage terrain mm-hmm. where the roads are quite bendy, especially a lot of times there's like a tank trap um, or maybe like a barricade is going to slow down your wood vehicles and suddenly it looks faster until you start going. Actually, I'd have to get three turns to get through that bit. Mm-hmm. Not worth it. I'll go on the road. I'll go on the field next to it instead. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I played on a Stalingrad table the other night, and when we were setting up, I realized that some of the wheeled vehicles, because we'd put piles of rubble in the middle of some of these roads, there was no way to shoot straight down it. You had to make multiple turns, but in doing so, that really slowed things down because you couldn't run. You had to advance. Now, sure, that was still advancing twice speed uh, to get the two turns, but it had to be done. You couldn't just zip straight down it. And I think... Especially for you being a TO and me being a TO, uh, and for TOs out there, when you're setting up your boards, or if you're just playing with friends, if you have those big wide-open roads, either because they're on a game mat, because they're on so many game mats now, or if you've put roads on your boards, just to make it fair for both players, if one player is playing a hyper-mobile force, um, particularly one of those motorized forces, I'm thinking of like an LRDG force, or... The German force that is all zipped up in half uh, tracks, yeah, Panzer Grenadiers. Yep, Panzer Grenadiers. Um, depending on how you were doing it, it wouldn't hurt to throw something in on those roads that people need to man- maneuver around. As you say, tank traps are a good one as well, just to uh, maybe put the brakes on a little it's, bit. From especially
1: time to time. some missions like uh, envelopment. Is it all yeah, uh-huh. if you so if a, if a vehicle on a road running, if a wheeled vehicle, a truck can run four foot, 48 inches on the road, well the width of the board is only 48 yeah. inches, which means if you're playing envelopment as a straight road from your side to their side, you can get off in one turn. And that's very, very silly. So you should always put a bend or or a tank trap or just something to make it not possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: I won Demolition in Term 2 Oof, in an event yeah. not too long ago. Well, I guess a couple of years ago now. But didn't even... We set up. We went to do it. And then uh, because we got our missions as we were setting up, uh, things got switched around. And they said, oh, top secret, go. And I so set up and was ready to go and then went, wait a minute. I have." Uh, I was playing my DAC. Had three horches with veterans in them. And then there was a road running down the middle of my board. And my opponent didn't put anything on it. And I was like, uh... You know, I can Oof, get up uh, there. Yeah, He's like, uh, no, no, I'll, I'll shoot you off. And I was like, okay. Ran I, I all three punished, up. I,
1: I punished a club mate in the garage once um, by wrecking. Well, you know, those little mm-hmm. machine gun bikes the Germans can have. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it first turn, it just ran up to the middle of the t- table as far forward as I could. Second turn, he shot it, and it just wrecked onto the objective, and then he failed to get it on a one. Exactly. And I was like, that's why you don't do that again.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I shot up the board 48 inches uh, with my last dice, uh, because I went down with all the guys in the vehicles, and then saved the vehicles for the last dice in the game, or of the first turn, uh, and was able to get, I think, the last three out of the last four dice pulls, and so shot all my horches up the road, and then, because it was first wave, they just shot on, kept going, kept going, and then I got the first die pull of the second round, got up, guys dumped out, and then I put other guys in front of them creating terrain for them because, uh, intervening models are light terrain. Am I that, I'm yeah, not making yeah. that uh, up. In, yeah. In,
1: in, yeah. Intervening infantry.
0: So I put intervening inter- infantry around the guys on the inside and then, but I still had two groups of guys and then parked the horches the third horch in a way that kind of blocked line of sight. And then, you know, that horch got blown up. So it turned into terrain. put more intervening models in and was just like, okay, now dig me out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah,
1: there you go. I think with roads, the the way I kind of like tackle it is that I think, right, what's the mission and how is that going to affect the mission? So if it's like one of those maneuvering ones, well, suddenly, yeah. How is, is, do I want to let the opponent have them? Do I want to use them? Or if I want my troops to go over there, is the road the best way? Yeah. Because sometimes getting there a turn later but alive is better than getting there a turn earlier but
0: dead. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) And yeah, it's I mean, a bit of a mix, mix bad. exactly. Well, which is why, as you were talking about earlier, setting a little trap along major thoroughfares, that, again, depending on the mission, if if you know your opponent is going to need to use that road to achieve the objective of how to win that game, it can really behoove you if you have an AT gun, if you have an piece, if you have a, a unit that is tooled up for that sort of thing. I know that you love an ATR. Uh, but anti-tank rifles, uh, and I know that you don't, but if you put an anti-tank rifle next to a road and put it into ambush, that can be a little bit of a deterrent for a truck. Um, not so much in second edition, but it can definitely help, right?
1: Having well, it's de- it's, the, it's the, the, the classic Japanese bomb, bomb mine. Mm-hmm. Just, just hiding there in the bush by the road. Go on, go down. I dare you. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I'll get you.
1: Especially if there's, especially if there's like, you know, like if there's like a narrow road. There's a bit of a convoy, mm-hmm. and then the first one gets blown up, left as impassable terrain. Guess what? Everyone behind is stuck now. So <laughs> again, the roads can be very good. They can also be death traps. So it's uh,
0: be careful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they are not nearly as maneuverable as you think. Because as you say, you must spend your entire movement on the road to get the double movement. And the number of turns you get for those vehicle types do not change if you are on the road. Just your movement on the road, if that makes sense. Well, Dov, I think um, we should get uh, take this show on the road, so to speak, and move on to the next particular uh, topic because I think we've beaten that one to death. Let's talk rubble and sort of rough ground. Rough ground is defined as... To describe areas of terrain that are difficult to move through, which therefore are slow troops down, in some cases prevent them from moving altogether. Now, there are different types, and I'm sure we'll talk in a minute about uh, dense terrain and other things like that. But something that I always see people uh, forget, and I'll be honest, I forget this. I've forgotten this over the years as well, and I've been called on it, and it's one of those common mistakes people can make, is if you have rough terrain, rough ground, you can set up artillery in it, for example, but you can't move artillery into it. You can move infantry through it. You cannot move to wheeled vehicles through it. You can move tracked vehicles through it. But infantry and tracked vehicles can't run through it. They have to advance. I have seen people set up in rough ground and say, haha, you can't assault me because in order to assault me, you need to use a run order. No, that's not how it works you run with a six-inch move in that particular situation. But it's really important to remember that you can't move your light AT gun to grab an objective that's sitting in rough ground. Do you want to add anything to that?
1: So, yeah, rotating your gun is an advance order and advances a move. Oh, this is probably point. one of those interpretation ones based on based on local areas as well, so mm-hmm. your Myers may vary. But for us, an advance order is a move. Therefore, if you've placed your gun, it's fixed in that position. If someone comes around a flank, you can't rotate your gun because you'd then be advancing, which would be then be moving.
0: And while and, I can hear some people yeah. out there rolling their eyes saying, tof don't be so literal, if you actually think <laughs> about, I mean, it depends, again, on the type of rough ground, but Imagine those dug-in guns from World War II that you've seen that are sticking out in a particular way. You literally, because of either tree trunks or rubble or walls or whatever else that happened to be there, if you look at those pictures, those guns aren't turning 90 degrees, right? There's things blocking the barrel. And this represents that on the tabletop.
1: And, and it, it comes back to having that conversation with your opponent and start the game. Mm-hmm. If it's just like... I don't know. I'm trying to think of examples of terrain. If it's like a, a corn, a grain field or corn or something, and you want to go, it's rough ground, but my gun can rotate. You, if you want to have that conversation with your opponent start of the game, have it at the start of the game, mm-hmm. so you don't then get turned turn forward. You try and rotate it, and you go, no. And then you go, well, grain's not going to stop a gun, is it?
0: And then you have
1: to have that debate half through the game, right. which you don't want to have.
0: Yeah, you definitely don't. Um, now, also, tracked vehicles can't run through. Now, that is kind of important because we often think in bolt action that tracked vehicles hey a wall I'll just drive over that no problem Uh, in some cases buildings if you have a heavy or a super heavy tank no problem I'll drive through that but it does slow you down and I've seen people try and you know run through rough ground particularly when you have debris on roads Uh, again roads uh, but tracked vehicles trying to fang through, uh, you know, piles of rubble on roads at, at a run speed, it doesn't work that way. Um, you need to be careful, and you can only give it an advance order. Anything the you want to class- add to that, Toph? Do you see that the regularly?
1: Classic, yeah, the classic one is is the river across the middle of the board. Thank you, yeah. So you see so many so many people, the other board where you will have a river across the middle, and there'll be three or four bridge crossings. And you go, cool, and then you drive your truck up. And you go, or you half jack up and go, ah, mm-hmm. <laughs> just reach the bank and you go, I ah, didn't consider that. That's going to slow me down. I'm going to sit there as a sitting duck as you slowly wade your way across the river. Mm-hmm. Or you do the alternative and go over the bridge, in which case your opponent goes, well, that's where you're going. <laughs> exactly. And that's <laughs> where, where I put my
0: like AT that. gun. Have fun. Yeah. You go, mm. um, yeah. Because, uh, but wheeled vehicles can't cross rivers, right? Am I understanding that yeah, right? Yeah, no, it's rough ground. Can't do it. Yeah, Exactly. Cool. So
1: some t- I've been to some events where there's a there's rivers with no bridges at all, and then hmm. suddenly I look at my opponent go, right. I know we shouldn't, <laughs> right? <laughs> but for this game, shall we make an allowance specifically because otherwise none of us are moving anywhere. Yeah. But obviously that's the discussion front because the rules is written from the book. Yeah, you, the, all rough ground is impassable to um vehicle, uh, to wield vehicles.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought up Rivers because I wasn't going to bring that up later, but I'll bring that to where we are now. Now, some boards have um, not bridges. Well, they have bridges, too, but some have um, sort of low crossing areas, um, little fords. If you have that on your board, that's not actually covered by the bolt action rules, technically. However, if you, like Tove said, work out with your opponent, and I have had this conversation in the past – And I know that sometimes when playing with other opponents, they've said, hey, can we move wheeled vehicles through there at at just a regular advance rate? And again, that's working out with your opponent. Or you could say maybe wheeled vehicles uh, drive halfway through that or something like that. Again, that's not actually what's in the rules, but that's adapting to the terrain on your tabletop. And again, you need to have that conversation before the game starts. Um, Otherwise, you get the old feel badsies. Well, let's talk about another really important part of rough ground and area terrain in general, or I guess terrain in general, and that is how they work as far as we've talked movement, but let's talk assault. Now, as we know, hand-to-hand combat (laughs) in bolt action (laughs) is deadly, and people want to do it. It is the easiest way in some cases to kill your opponent's models and in other cases kill your own depending on how your dice go but um terrain dramatically impacts how those rules work it's a fairly simple mechanic and yet there's a million iterations of it and people get really salty i can't
1: think of anything that has had as many rules answers in the faq Mm -hmm. than assault it, it, it is. I think that I think just because it's so div devi- so decisive, mm-hmm. and it, and it's a, it's a vehicle for catching people out. <laughs> you know, there's nothing worse than having your squad charged and they go first out of nowhere when you thought they were safe, and suddenly it's ah, I've lost a massive unit in the combat. It's yeah, it's it's it it, it's, it can be a painful one when it goes wrong
0: exactly well let's let's start by going to page 76 in the rule book and you can correct me with the faq here because i actually like an numpty, didn't open that uh, pdf before uh, i started this morning the rule is in the colored box in the corner top secret defensive position whenever the assault of an enemy has gone across obstacles or rough ground thus their movement has been shortened to six inches or when the defender is being fought across an Obstacle described above, the defender has the obje- oh, sorry, has the advantage of readying themselves for the onslaught, and blah, 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 blah. This means that the attacker's normal advantage of going first is canceled. Instead, the attackers uh, fight simultaneously, both sides at the same time. Calculate, combat, blah, blah, blah. So rather than, because if you assault in bolt action, the attackers go first. It's a very simple mechanic. However if you are assaulting through cover, if you're assaulting over a wall, anything like that where your movement has been shortened to 6 inches, well, all of a sudden now it's simultaneous. Now that is huge because many times you win combat and bolt action by, you know, rolling better dice in hand to hand and if you are able if you're the attacker and there isn't terrain, you can roll first. Eliminate a bunch of your opponent's models who then don't get to roll back, which means that you have the advantage of having hopefully more dice than your opponent and have a better chance of wiping them out or getting more kills, meaning you can win combat and then they are wiped out. Um, I think I, again, used 50 words when 10 were necessary there. Sorry. (laughs) Toph, I know I'm over-explaining this. Are you happy with that explanation?
1: The, The main thing I to take from here so you either get you either there's two ways you get defensive position it's either you're fighting over an obstacle so you're positioned on one side of a wall or a Mm -hmm. hedgerow and they charge the other side of the hedgerow or if the opponents had to have their movement reduced to get into base contact with you right what it doesn't say which reading between the lines I guess is that it doesn't say if you're in terrain you automatically get defensive position right if say you've got nine men in 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 rough ground but one man's poking out and then he's the one man that gets charged guess what your opponent's not to be slowed down so he gets to go first and i've seen that call out many 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 people absolutely
0: now in that situation if you have those nine guys and let's say you are charging with six guys now the just the way that it works i believe now i may be extrapolating too many years of playing other games here but you can't get all of your six guys around that one guy. Um, so in that situation, do some of your guys have to pile into the terrain? Or do you so, need to so, wrap around? You, can you sort of bubble wrap the guy on the end in two ranks?
1: Yeah. So what you so when you're establishing, like, the charge mm-hmm. and who gets who's defensive and who's not, the only thing that matters are the two closest two models. Got it. Once you've made that initial connection— you then just place your models wherever in base contact with the enemy. So even if, so if you have just got one in the same way, that if one person's in range, say if you're like literally just on the edge of the 12 inch charge, everyone else can then move however they need to move to get into combat, which means, yeah, if you have got one bloke in, uh, um in, in the open and the rest are in defensive position, if the closest two models, if the closest model to the charging unit and the defensive unit, if there's open ground between them, it's, it's free, it's free play.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: The, the the FAQ brings in is when there's like an obstacle in the way. So say if like um again, this is podcast medium, not the greatest for this. Say if you have two units that are twelve inches apart, mm-hmm. but there's like a there's like a there's like a um a wall in between them, which they wouldn't normally be able to run over because you can only move six inches. Right. If they're able to make contact by running around the wall while still being within twelve inches, they can still do that but the opponent would count as being in the defensive position if that makes sense that it's makes a hard sense. one to visualize if i had a diagram it'd be easy i don't
0: <laughs> but i mean we we've, so, we've all had that moment yeah. right where our guys yeah. are on one side the opponent's guys are on the other side and then you can go around a wall to get there like that i've seen i've played that in countless games yeah. over the years now that's interesting because i i know that locally we've played that both ways it, i'm glad they put that in the faq and i don't remember seeing that so i'm glad you said that because it (laughs) means
1: they've removed it and i'll be wrong and i'll be able to apologize
0: (laughs) well it makes sense right because there is an intervening wall and that is an obstacle and you would you do need to navigate around it and that does give your opponent time to get ready for the assault i guess so you know i'm happy with that faq i think that works
1: yeah it's just it's just one where you can think your unit's safe then it not be especially if like if if you've got a base that's half on an area terrain but half off if it's like the edge of a crater or something well if your opponent touches if your opponent charges you and touches the side of the base that's off the terrain they've not had to slow their movement down they get to go first so you have to just be really careful when you place your models down to make sure they are on the terrain piece and it feels unfair and you know what It, it is unfair especially if you've not expected it and you've not had a chance to, like, you know, return fire or anything like that. But it's just making sure that there is that one mil of base, of of terrain in between you to actively slow the enemy down, which is what you
0: need to trigger the effect. Yes, exactly. Now, there is an edge case here that I want to talk about, and I'm going to throw the grenade and then I'm going to back quietly out of the room because you are the expert on this, being the Polish player who has a million cavalry units. Yeah, yeah. Can you please uh, explain how cavalry worked? Because I know the cavalry at one point, at least locally, were the bugbear. That everyone were like, oh, cavalry is the worst thing ever. Um, They have this unbelievable move. move. They have Tough Fighter. They have all these other rules. Now, in Second Ed, that did calm down. Not necessarily for Polish players because they have (laughs) exceptions to that rule. However, this is one way to prepare for cavalry or to deal with cavalry, right?
1: Yeah, it's the, probably the, the the best way to deal with cavalry is to sit and cover because to having to strike at the same time reduces their advantage of being able to charge you from 18 inches away and go, you know, go first. So the deal with cavalry is they're infantry that can advance nine and run 18, which also means in terrain, when they're charging you in terrain, they charge nine inches through terrain rather than six inches. Mm-hmm. So that's another one. If you're expecting them all, you need to be within six inches to charge me cavalry can sit there a two, a two or three inches further back and go ha ha surprise um they also have they also have recce and uh, abilities to, to run around like that but the main thing is that 18 inch charge is massive because this is a watching yeah. game of 12 inches because that's how far you run mm-hmm. that's how far the range of a rifle is everyone knows 12 inches they don't know 18 though <laughs> 18 no, inches extra six inches changes everything when you're trying to like work out in your head like distances
0: yeah, it feels weird to see them charge yeah. that far, right? Um, I yeah. know that I've yeah. been on the receiving end of a Polish army a couple times, and just to watch that many units move that quickly into your line, yeah. you go, ooh, I wasn't Especially expecting 18, that.
1: Yeah, 18 inches is one side of the table to the other. And then if you combine that with the turret, with these actual charge rules, where the rules are, if there's an open path between the two closest models, you're free to go, that can charge can come out of anywhere. Out of nowhere, you can go, bam, 80, you know, 18 inches, six Lancers in the side. Oh, it's pain. It's absolutely painful, absolutely brutal. Yeah. So this is when, when you put your units in terrain defensively, make sure they're in the terrain, or at least if you can't fit them all in, make sure you, you, you accept where the weak points are, mm-hmm. preferably the opposite side of where your opponent's coming in.
0: <laughs> exactly right. And you have your closest models in the cover, not out of the cover. Yeah. And and
1: because uh, you have to be to, for terrain to reduce your movement, you have to be physically in it. Because of the, because of the long charge of of cavalry, you can you can they can deploy in quite ways. So you might have the majority of the units say, sat behind a building, getting hard cover. But because they're still, them, they themselves are in open ground, they're not and they they're, they're going to charge you at full pelt. Mm-hmm. So you might shoot them and they might go, hey look, we've got hard cover. But when you charge them, they're not stopped. They're going straight in. It's it, it ugh, ugh, it's not very nice. Yeah. It's 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 one of those things where if you don't if you've never seen it, it hurts because it'll come out of nowhere. Once you've played it a few times, like ah no, I can see what they do now. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Am- ambush really and uh, cover go a long way towards mitigating yeah. Yeah. cavalry in my in my experience. Now yeah,
1: yeah uh, that's in, in mine too.
0: <laughs> now another thing that and then speaking of terrain and cavalry, that really does help if you're dealing with cavalry is cavalry can't go in buildings without dismounting. But that should be clear here. We're not talking about ruined buildings. We're not. It's not rubble, not area terrain. That's what we just talked about. They can travel through that, as, as Toph said, at nine inches. However, if you are in a building building, they have to dismount to come in and get you. So that can be great if there are buildings on the board. But also know that the second that you're in one, if your opponent happens to have an AT gun, or or sorry, an an HE high explosive (laughs) template weapon, you revert to version one HE rules uh, if you are in a building and you get hit with one of those uh, arty pieces. And so while that can be great... If you're, um, in Tov's case, the Polish player happens to have a couple of artillery pieces, which I know he does in that army, um, that is uh, <clears throat> painful, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the main thing with buildings is is the separation of buildings from other types of terrain. Yeah. And I think that this is really key. Buildings are buildings, and, and rough ground, dense terrain is rough ground, dense terrain. And a ruin, the likes of, you know, a Stalingrad ruin, or... Uh, <laughs> i don't know how to describe it you know you know maybe two or three walls on a base with some rubble and a couple of broken floors that that is dense terrain mm-hmm. rough ground isn't, well sometimes dense terrain depends how you're playing it with your parents talk to your parents first but it, for the most part it's hardcover rough ground whereas a building is a specific set of rules for an intact building where you can have people inside and they can go up and down floors and all of that and it can be destroyed by heavy house and they're two separate things is allowed to go in what can go in the rough ground they can't go in the building but just because it looks like a building if you classify it as a ruin they can go all the way to the top of that exactly <laughs> not looking out for it again unless you go to your opponent start game it's a bit silly are we going to say that the cavalry don't want to go to the top in which case you know you have that discussion but at the book if you've not had that discussion they can get you in a, in a ruin no problems
0: Spider horse, spider horse does everything, <laughs> spider horse does. Anyway, sorry. Um, let's, let's, <laughs> since you brought it up and it is a talking point, let's talk about dense terrain. Since we are talking rough ground, I like to think of it as sort of footprints or kidney-shaped uh, w- uh, templates on the board, whatever it is, be it a ruined building, be it uh, the footprint of uh, a forest Whatever it is, there is a point where rough terrain begins and rough terrain ends. Uh, and it should be clearly laid out on the tabletop. I know that when I first started playing Bolt Action, I didn't have a lot of the terrain that matched the game. I was using a lot of old 40K terrain when I first started. I know, boo hiss, leave me alone. It was a long time ago. <laughs> Bolt Action just started. It's not the heyday of terrain we, now. We all, we all started somewhere, Brad. <laughs> exactly right. But I was I was creating ruins using some of the battlefield in a box ruined walls. And... Um, In creating those templates, there were little gaps between walls, and I ran into, when playing a couple of my opponents to start with, because we hadn't clearly had the conversation of, well, we just said, oh, yeah, that's ruins, but we didn't say that it was the footprint, and it's this whole area, so that um, I had people trying to charge in through the gaps between, because, you know, the, the walls, there were gaps between the walls, and you go, well, no, that, that's rough terrain, you know, that, that's rough terrain, rough ground, so that slows you down. Or as far as, um, you know, do, does someone count as in cover or not, if, you know, they can see through the gaps, all that. The, you do need to clearly lay this out on the tabletop and have those conversations if your terrain doesn't necessarily match the rulebook. But it is the entire footprint that gets that cover. A lot of times, and again, you should talk about this with your opponent before you start. If you have more dense woods or ruined buildings or that sort of thing, oftentimes this falls into the category of dense terrain. Now, that was not in version one of this game. It's in version two. Um, And I think it's one of the coolest adds in version two. Now, what that means is you can shoot into cover. And if you're in cover, you can shoot out of cover, but you can't shoot through cover. So if you're on one side and I'm on the other side of a forest stand and we've said that it's dense terrain, it becomes like a smoke cloud in bolt action. You can't shoot to the other side of it. You, um, now, the second that one of us moves into it, you do. Now, another important part of that is and something that I commonly see a problem with. And I actually had to look up in the first game that I played bolt action after taking the last lockdown, quote unquote, break was what happens when you're both in the trees? You don't negate each other's cover. You do do that if it's a wall and you're on both sides of it. That negates cover if you're shooting, not assaulting. Uh, again, though, you need to be careful of the one inch, depending on your wall. But if you are shooting within cover at each other, as long as you are more than an inch away, and you should be, both sides do get the, the cover that that, Uh, terrain gives you so if it's woods it would again depending on how you've laid it out with your opponent it should be a light cover if it's a ruined building it's probably heavy cover again if you're both in it and there's more than an inch distance between you you get the cover type but if neither one of you are in it and you're shooting through it you can't get across and again i feel like i'm using too many words here so does that that, make sense
1: that's 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 fine yeah it's a good it's a good um summary and yeah i mean Page fifty-seven of the rule books, if you want, if you want to go and check it out yourself. Yes, um, and, and the direct the,
0: the, dense train is also on fifty-two. Not to be completely oh, um, just to just to, yeah. just to
1: keep the rules for one set of rules on two pages. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the key bit I, for me, and this this actually triggered. There's a big, 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 big debate on this of um, a, a, a few weeks ago on, on the and Facebook page. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to I'm just going to lay it out. I'm not going to give an answer because I think we we'll all need to FAQ this. So the issue is, is that if a shot fires over more than an inch through dense terrain, that's when cover occurs. Right. So, say if you're, if there's a big set of trees and you're in the middle of the sense of set of trees, if the shot goes more than passes through more than one inch of the tree, then get the even the enemy would get cover even if they stood without the, outside the tree. Right.
0: That's how we is play it here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Now, the way to avoid that is obviously if the shot's firing through less than an inch. But the rulebook also says uh, models count as at the edge of dense terrain when they are positioned within the dense terrain and touching its boundary and their shots cross less than one inch of dense terrain they are occupying. The, the line which says uh, touching its boundary, turns out, what does that count as? <laughs> What's a boundary? Because rules are written, you could have some random bloke, in the squad shooting touching one side of the terrain touching the boundary but then the shot would be going through less than an inch on the other side of the terrain and my head hurts even thinking about it so uh, yeah. <laughs> <I'm with laughs> you. it needs an FAQ because there was a million and one answers and everyone had an opinion as they do so mm-hmm. I'll leave that one there but for the practical purposes if the shot's going through at least again in our local area can't speak for every every um, group across the across the world. If in our group we just simply play in dense terrain, if the shot goes less than an inch, then whoever they're firing at gets to ignore cover. So if you're stood, if you're stood in a ruin on the edge of the ruin, as long as you're, um there's less than an inch between your model and the edge of the building, they can fire through as if they as if there's no cover there.
0: Now if you do if have a squad, sense. it does. And if you have a yeah. squad that's standing on the edge of that cover and they're shooting out, and you go to assault them they do count as having the cover bonus because they are in the cover, even though they're touching the edge.
1: As as long as there's at least, as long as there's at least, like, say, a millimeter of terrain that the opponent would need to cross to get to them.
0: Okay, so I know that when here, when you are lined up, let's say, on the edge of a wood, even if you're touching the edge, but not, like, as long as you're wholly in the cover, if you assault then they count as being in dense ter- or being in rough ground. So then you need to do that. Um, so you're saying that you guys have like just a tiny, tiny little gap.
1: Yeah, um, it, it comes It comes down to did did the charging unit need to reduce their movement to get hold of you? Right. Okay, and if you're literally right on the edge of the terrain or your base is hanging off it, they wouldn't need to go through it, so they'd go at full pelt. Now, if you're like, like a fraction of a millimeter inside the terrain that they would need to cross to get to you, which is how you should be putting your models down anyway. Yeah. Then, yes, you'd get defensive. Cool. It's just making sure that you, you're being neat and you're not being lazy with your models and you're yeah. deploying them correctly. Or even if it's wobbly model syndrome, even if you just tell your opponent, look, they're supposed to be like this.
0: <laughs> yeah, because sometimes those boards yeah. are beautifully yeah. laid out. People spend a lot of time making these incredibly ornate boards. That when you actually put models on them, as you say, wobbly model syndrome for those yeah, who don't yeah. know, and, um, and, and, things are kind of toppling back and forth because yeah. the terrain isn't actually designed to have the, the base size of that type sitting on it flat. So in that case, you just, again, need to communicate to your opponent, yeah. hey, I'm setting this up so that there's like a millimeter edge between the edge of the terrain and where I'm standing. Just so you're aware that is yeah. the my and, and, intent even, in setting even, this.
1: Even as the most hardcore competitive gamey gamer gamer you'll find as me. <laughs> if someone says to me, "I'm this is what I'm trying to do," good, yeah, I get it. Yeah. You know, what I mean, like yeah, exactly. reasonable people will will accommodate that because we all we all hate trying to mo- balance models at the top of Mount Stalingrad because the mm. grain side looks amazing, grain looks amazing, but you can't get your machine good to just sit still. With, no, <laughs> you you know? as, as long as the intent is known, that's. You know, just talk to your opponent. We're all human. You know, just have that conversation. Exactly,
0: exactly. And while I'm talking about things that people often, or new players in particular are sort of, this is a problem that commonly see, is when people are moving up to rough ground or dense terrain um, and then moving through it, you can advance six inches through it, no problem. Because as we said, rough ground, infantry can't run. Um, But we often see people run up, too rough, uh, rough ground. Now this happened in the game, both games that I played recently where I had models, maybe nine inches away from either a ruined building or some woods. And I ran up, um, and I got to nine inches and I stopped at the edge of the train. Now I stopped because I had run and I can only run six inches or sorry, you only advance through those types. So any extra movement that you don't use is just wasted. You can't actually then be like, oh, I'm just going to half move the rest of my move through here. No, that isn't how it works. It's. Yeah, they, they, they they run up and go, ah! I have to stop or I'm going to trip. And it's just going,
1: what's going on? There's a tree.
0: <laughs> exactly. Oh my God, there's a wall. I'm just going <laughs> to catch my breath here and then I'm going to go through. So, yeah. But if you are, for example, four inches away and you advance, you can move the four inches and then get to the cover and then move two inches into it because you have used the advance order that you're moving at a slow, cautious pace. It's not a problem. Um, yeah, so be aware of that. I know that most people who played the game a couple times know that one, but new players out there in particular, yeah. keep that in mind.
1: There are a few units out there that have special rules that allow them to run in rough ground. Mm-hmm. Mountaineers so got, is a hell of a rule. Yeah, you got... Ye- is it Jaeger's? I think they the Jaegers in the Stalingrad book. There's yeah. a couple of New Year's in the new Italian uh, soft underbelly book. They're definitely out there, and you won't even think about it until mm-hmm. out of nowhere they go, ha 9-inch charge for terrain, uh, and it will it'll hurt. <laughs> yeah.
0: Or be also be aware partisans can do it in the first round. Um, there's a couple of armies that allow you in the first turn to do it. Now, that isn't going to result in a charge because no one I, – I don't think there's a single mission that I've heard so of where it, you're that it, close. I, got
1: – I've got a friend who does Partisans and he runs um, Partisan Cavalry. Oh, of course. And they, they can do it against people who forward deploy. Or if people got really, really ambitious and they themselves ran directly forward in the first turn. But, uh, mm, mm, yeah, I've seen it happen a couple of times, but they're very, very specific
0: situations. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> those are those weird yeah. edge cases that we were talking about. Yeah. Um, but... It is important to know, though, that as you are deploying, I played Partisans for a long time and I would use that 12 inch run at the, at the first turn of the game. Often I would set up on the edge of terrain um, because, you know, how many times when you're setting up your forces, buildings tend to be towards the middle of the table um, and then you're, you know, you can't quite deploy in them. And so you have to spend the first turn sort of moving up into them. And sometimes that can take a while to get into the right position that you want. Again, depending on the mission and the table setup, et cetera, et cetera. But I would often run to get into position and I would catch my opponents out. And it was I wouldn't necessarily be assaulting them on turn one. But in turn two, I would be in a far more beneficial position it, it, for it, me it, it, than it, it, they thought. Yeah
1: right it's just saying here's a problem deal with me yeah and, exactly. I, and that's how i like to use terrain is to say if there's like an objective like i'm just gonna put a big unit of veterans there i'm just gonna sit there i'm just gonna go down because mm-hmm. i'm on the objective come and get me and and that could be a real tough nut to crack because you've got the the, the, the modifiers coming in Yeah, it slows you down um for movement if they if you want to charge them you're going at the same time it's it's it, you know men in cover going down it's actually really um, it's one, you know, the mark down minus two splits a lot of people. But for me, I really enjoy it because it means if you're if you've got a squad in cover and they don't want to move, they're, uh, yeah, they're
0: mm-hmm. going to stay there
1: until you do something about it.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because let's talk about that. Because if you go down, obviously it's minus two to hit in second edition. Again, first edition was minus one. So for yeah. those of you who have jumped from first to second, I know that some people still get caught up on that weirdly. Going down is minus two to hit if you're shooting at someone who's gone down, but if you're in heavy cover, as Tove says, it's another minus two. So it's minus yeah. four. So you're hitting on sixes on sixes when you're rolling, which is a hell of a uh, it. It just makes you a lot harder yeah, to hit yeah. than and, and, and that's
1: before you've added moving moving and, and range and, <laughs> and know, all and that and pins. Yeah,
0: it it makes a big difference. But one way to negate that, in fact, uh, I had a. I had a couple people asking me recently, how, what's a good way to get rid of people in cover, particularly if they go down? Well, there's a couple of ways that I can think of right off the top that really help with that. One, of course, is if you're within six inches, assault them because that negates their going down. It negates their cover, and all of a sudden, um, you are uh, fighting. Now, keeping in mind, if they're in heavy cover, of course, you're fighting simultaneously. Now, if Toph has nine veterans going down on an objective, that may not be something you want to charge because they may kill you outright and you would feel sad. But because it's simultaneous, depending on what you have available, if you're willing to throw a unit or two away, it may not be a bad idea if it's the end game at the very end of a game rather than throwing your hands up and saying, oh, it's the end of the world. I know I've won games by throwing a couple of squads at that squad, and sure, I get wiped out in the first two combats, Um, but by the time I get to my third squad, because it's simultaneous, I've whittled them down to the point where I've actually been able to win combat, take the objective, and win. Again, especially when assaulting veterans, though, the dice aren't exactly in your favor in that particular case, so... Good luck. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I like inexperienced for for those sort. You know those like mm-hmm. those last ditch throwaway fights because if I'm inexperienced, I'm still killing you on fives. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't affect my combat ability. Like you're going to kill me anyway. That that's fine. I don't care about that. But I'm going to drag five veterans down with me, which are worth
0: more than my entire score. <laughs> exactly right. And of course, the obvious way to get rid of people who have gone down in cover, flamethrowers, uh, because Absolutely. flamethrowers. Do not care. They give zero F's about um, the cover or that you're down. They ignore both of those. Uh, of course, you do have the other modifiers as far as like moving and range. But yeah, if you get hit with a flamethrower, again, ignores down, ignores cover. Uh, and especially since the whole point of a flamethrower usually isn't to kill the thing, but to cause enough pins and make them, you know, fail a test and then run away because they're scary. You know, that that could be a great way to get rid of veterans as well.
1: I mean, so. Flame throws are just great tools to have in the box exactly for that kind of thing. Everyone says, oh, yeah, they can kill their tank. and yeah, That's great. But there's multiple ways to deal with a tank. Yeah, and exactly, I, right? I, 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 I always tend to find mine tend to be used as the, I need to get rid of that one unit you know, that's just stubbornly refusing to go. <laughs> 100%.
0: I could not agree more. Um, having a flamethrower squad in a truck is unbelievably versatile in trying to clear up those situations around objectives that you need to win the game. Um, I, I am very, when I play, I focus on the objectives above all else. It's what I always do. Um, I sort of, you know, laser-like focus on what the objective is. I'm very rarely distracted off of what I need to do to get there. But having that scalpel of having a flamethrower really can re- solve so many problems. Um, <laughs> if you're trying to clear someone off an objective, uh, yeah, can be super handy, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, indirect weapons, mortars are great for this.
0: Yeah. Uh, if you want to
1: sit on that terrain? You be my guest, mate. But I'm ranging in, and it's forced next turn. So do you want to stay there or do you want to move? Yeah. Because to 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 stop the indirect direct count from getting any better so six is to hit then five to hit then four to hit then freeze to as and freeze to hit mm-hmm. as the, uh, the turn to go on you need to move at least three inches to get out of that the, the incoming path particularly if it's like a heavy mortar where if that hits ooh, your squad's your squad's doomed yeah exactly well <laughs> so you if, need... if it's turn two yeah. and you see someone getting comfy maybe start start Reining in a little bit
0: and go, let's punish him for staying. (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's one of those things that we've talked about on this show a couple times. When you are playing objective missions in particular, it often does not behoove you to jump on an objective early and then, you know, dig in. You often, um, it's better for you to maneuver around the board a little bit, um, even if you're just jumping from cover to cover, if you have a squad that you really want to get on there. Because not only does it allow you to sort of maneuver and fire as you go, um, rather than just jumping on something and going down, so you're losing that squad's ability to put out shots and pins, but also you're far less likely to become uh, indirect fire bait, because man, yeah... It can yeah, feel we, real we, bad we, just to sit there and watch that yeah. dice tick down every turn and you're like, oh God, please don't roll that. Please don't roll that. Yeah. Um, we,
1: we talk about this a, a lot in, 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 uh, in Juggernaut Bosh Podcast. <laughs> um, we talk about it a lot in like the, the concepts of like board control mm-hmm. and like being able to own pieces of terrain because even a cheap inexperienced unit sat in terrain is a potential threat because as, as we discussed, to get rid of them, well, they're going to sit there going down, so shooting's not going to work. You, you need something better, so you're going to need to charge them, you're going to need to flamethrower them, you're going to need to win direct fire them. And just being able to put yourself in places and be a rock that someone else has got to get through is, is, is just from, a, just from a, a messing up your opponent's plans. It's just even, I think, like, example, like a home guard unit. Well, they, you're not going to rely on them to win, and, to win the war by themselves, mm-hmm. but down there can mess up your opponent's plans. <laughs> Because there's there's things we need to deal with. There you go. Off you go. (laughs) Deal with them. Yes.
0: Now, let's let's talk a little bit about something we mentioned earlier. And that is, if you are trying to um, create cover on the board. um, Now, that's something that I know a lot of people don't talk about. But if you are trying to defend your own troops uh, and there isn't cover available... Um, either because your opponent has maneuvered around it or the board just didn't have enough in the first place, which I'm sure we'll talk about before you go. You can create cover for your troops by putting intervening models in, as in putting a second squad up in front of the first one. Now, your opponent has the choice of which one to shoot at. If they shoot at the first squad, well, clearly they're not shooting at the second squad, which is the one you're wanting to defend. That can be helpful in that they're not shooting at the thing that you want them not to shoot at, if that makes sense. Um, but then if they do shoot at the squad that's closest to the objective, for example, they do get light cover because when you shoot through intervening models, um, the people get cover, light cover, right? Um, is that something you use regularly? Because that's something I found myself using more and more and more uh, over
1: the years. Vehicles, we love for this. And actually, it right. would be interesting you thought here. So, some, so armored vehicles, big tanks and stuff, give hard cover to what's behind because, you know a big tank mm-hmm. it's behind, behind it. And we always, uh, this is in, it's interesting, I'll be I'll say, interesting your thoughts because we always say sometimes having a tank die in the, in the right position can be really helpful. Yes. Because suddenly, you, if, especially if it's like a road or it's like a crossroads, if you get your big tank and it goes, sits in the middle and then they take it out with a fame throw a bazooka, etc., or mm-hmm. well, the wreck's still there. So suddenly you still got a big block of hardcover, you know, impassable to move um, uh, block that's suddenly there, which can actually get in the opponent's way, especially if it's like a bridge is their only way to get their wheeled vehicles across and suddenly there's a big dead tank in the middle. That's um, right. it's, it's suddenly terrain out of nowhere. Now, see, that's interesting because in my gaming group, we, we, that's like, yeah, fine, do it. You know, Take your tank, get it mm-hmm. dead in the right place. Cool, great. Whereas other gaming groups would say, see that and go, well, you've only taken that tank to get it killed. That's really game. You've only done that to stop me moving. And, it, and it's just one of those, I would be interested in what, if I did that to you, Brad, what would, you, what, what would you say?
0: <laughs> I think that's that's perfectly normal. I think that, I mean, if you think about it, how many times in World War II or whatever else um, do you see troops advancing up behind tanks? Now, clearly, if that tank gets wrecked, they're still going to be using that as cover. I mean, I, that sounds perfectly reasonable to me, and that's something that I do and I've seen other people do on the tabletop.
1: Now, yeah, an interesting yeah.
0: side case to that is light-skinned vehicles, uh, soft-skinned vehicles. Now, if you... Destroy a soft skin vehicle, a transport in particular, they stay on the board as light cover. Now, that is different than if you kill the unit in a transport. Let's say I have one of my horches zips up, one of my guys' DAC squads jumps out, and I shoot and do some damage, but then the return fire kills the DAC squad. Now, that transport is closer to the enemy than closer to me. That transport's destroyed according to the bolt-action rules. Yeah. Now, you would remove that transport. It is not on the table to be cover anymore. However, if you shot and destroyed that transport, it would stay on the table as, like, cover. Is that how you guys understand it yeah, as well? That, yeah. yeah. So,
1: if, 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 the, if the transport is destroyed because you're closer to it, it's because it's ran away. Yeah. It's, it's gone back to base. it gone, oh, no, what's going on? <laughs> Whereas if you if you destroy it by shooting it and not rolling on the damage table, it is a wreck. Um... Interesting, the rules do see the the, uh, are a bit ambiguous about whether you need to leave a wreck or not. We always play that you do. I think some people don't because the rules kind of say if you want to leave a wreck, you can.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, which is nice and oh, interesting. I like leaving a wreck because then you yeah. get to pull some of your smoke out and, and make it look all pretty. Exactly.
0: <laughs> well, it also looks good. I mean, I take a lot of photos for social media. And so, you know, if you take away the vehicle, then people go, wait, what happened to the vehicle? It's just gone. Yeah. And like, well, no, yeah. It's, it's wrecked. So I have a, a big handful of smoke that I take to every tabletop now, just so it's clear for people who are looking at the game.
1: The Good old tea light and cotton wool method with a bit mm-hmm. of black spray paint. They make it look like it's on fire. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Sorted, right? <laughs> Love it. Nice. Yeah, because um, it, it has to tell a
0: story. It's great. It is. Now, um, Toph, when it comes to wrecked vehicles and density, um, I know, and God, I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't looked this up for today's episode. And I'm trying to remember from years of playing bolt action. Help me out here. Tracked vehicles, if you wreck them, become heavy cover. Obviously, soft skins become light cover. Is it dense terrain? Are both dense terrain? Or I know you can so shoot it, it, through the light cover. I know you can do that, but yeah. So
1: the official ruling, page one hundred eight, when you knocked out a vehicle on the damage table, uh, mark the vehicle in some fashion to indicate it is wrecked. A black and co- blackened cotton wool ball or an upside down turret would work well, as we've discussed. And then here's the bit. Some players like to use models of wrecked vehicles instead. Either way, vehicle wrecks count as impassable terrain, so nothing can move into it. Not infantry, not vehicles, nothing. It's there forever. If players prefer not to bother with wrecks, destroyed vehicles can be removed altogether, perhaps blown apart by internal explosion, leaving only scattered debris. So from a destroyed vehicle perspective, it just says you leave it there as impassable terrain. Now, if you go back to the cover bit, which I think is on page uh, 57, there's a little section that says soft or hard cover. And then it just picks out, you know, uh, hardcover describes the kind of cover that offers real physical protection as well as a degree of concealment. Stone, brick, concrete, substantial walls, etc. Um, it also includes armored vehicles. Cool. So the interpretation is the that impassable piece of terrain is therefore hard cover because if you stood behind it, it's going to stop your bullet. It's substantial, um, wreck. Whereas the the wreck of a soft skin would not is classified as soft cover. Paragraph above that's the so it's like it's it's combining two rules from two separate places that don't outright say it but together kind of paint the picture
0: <laughs> okay. so we've been playing that right cool yeah I'm feeling much better about that now phew uh, <laughs> i know that i looked it up at one point but again it's been a while um yeah it's yeah
1: it's not it's like true line of sight though it's not like dense or anything though so like if you're in a, if you're saying if it's like a particularly tiny vehicle like some of these italian ones or something or if you're all in like in the, like in an elevated position, like a top floor of like a building or something, sometimes it might not be enough because you just fire over it. So it's not like some, in, it's not like some infinite tower of smoke blocking everything. It's, right. it's literally, it is what it is.
0: So if it's a big vehicle, cool, small vehicle there. Yeah, you get what you're given. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, let's, let's jump to something that we talked about earlier and that's buildings. Now buildings operate differently than everything else we've talked about so far. Now, a common mistake that I see with particularly, again, newer players, and I'm not speaking derogatorily towards newer players. This is just one of those rules that you need to know. And as soon as you play bolt action enough, you just remember um, that you cannot advance into a building. You must run into a building. Now, you can advance and run out of a building, but in order to get in, you must run. So you can't. Move into a building and then shoot out on the same turn. That is not allowed. Tov, anything you want to add to that? Uh, there's, a, there's, I think,
1: I think I've not got the FAQ to hand. I think there's a rule that allows you to still run six inches to get into a building because otherwise, if you're stood in terrain, that's six inches to a doorway, you would because you wouldn't be able to do a run order. You wouldn't be able to go in the building. Correct. Yeah, that's I'm a good. Pretty point. sure there's an FAQ somewhere that says you can though.
0: <laughs> right but you can't sh- you can't move into a building and shoot out on yeah, the same turn yeah yeah
1: the, the key is it's a run order to get in no no running and shooting yet. once you getting into a vehicle into a building sorry that is your one action is getting in
0: right and another thing that people often get wrong is when in a building not everyone can shoot out now, it says, units inside buildings may shoot from any visible opening, including windows and doors. Measure the range and calculate the line of sight from these openings. We assume that up to two men can fire out of any domestic size window or door. A unit in a building can divide its fire um, against different targets on different sides of a building. But all the fire from each side of the building must be aimed at the same target. Now, that's a big one. You can catch people huge. out. Because if you have a large enough squad in a building, all of a sudden your unit in a building gains the benefit of almost being a pin sprinkler like some vehicles because they can shoot at multiple targets and put pins on two different units. Um, Again, though, um, (laughs) there's a downside to this, and we'll get that in a second. If a unit uh, occupies a flat roof of a building, up to five of its models may fire from the side of that building. Again, number of times I've seen people on the roof of a building and they try and fire everyone off. Nope, it's only five. Now, if the unit of infantry or artillery begins the game already set up in a building, the player can declare that the unit has made an opening in one side of a building occupied that has no openings. So, for example, if you are in, and I know some of my desert buildings have one window on one side, or have, I have one building that has no openings on one side, if you start the game in that, it's assumed that they have made a hole, one hole. And you need to indicate prior to the game beginning where that is um, so you can measure uh, line of sight and range from that box. This allows two men in the unit to shoot out just like a window, but also allows enemy small arms to hit the unit in the building as well. Has there been any FAQs on this, toe? or am I explaining this right? Not that
1: I'm aware. I think that's still pretty current.
0: Okay. Now plunging fire. If vehicles occupy the upper floor of a building against an armored target within 12, all heavy weapons, uh, all heavy weapon hits scored will strike the top armor and then get the plus one penetration bonus. Um, now note this does not apply twice if you are using mortars or howitzers firing indirectly because they already get that bonus. Uh, now it's that the same bonus that, as, as hitting from the side, I think. Yeah, exactly.
1: Like, top top is side, yeah. So if you're on the side and the top, you don't get plus two. You still just get plus one.
0: Right. Now, shooting at people in buildings, it's resolved as normal, and people in get hardcover the minus two, and they can react by going down in the normal way. (sighs) Toph, this is where I'll admit, when second edition happened and all of a sudden um, templates came into the game, people in my local area often stopped using buildings because they use, still use the old HE rules. And I'll admit, I'm super rusty on buildings because I tend to park behind them and maneuver around them, and I almost never get in the goddamn things these days. Can you talk to us a little bit about what are the downsides of being in a building because there are significant ones?
1: Okay, so the main thing is being in a building gives you hard cover against everything, which is sounds great. There's a wall in the way. That's mm-hmm. cool except he weapons don't care they ignore the hard cover that the building provides Ooh. so things like howitzers medium houses heavy ones mortars um light auto cannons if they hit you with the he they're just going to hit hit you straight numbers so it means if if there's if there's open ground they're hitting you on threes. so suddenly it's like ah whereas before if you're in a ruin they'll be hitting you on fives suddenly because you're in a building it's a lot easier to hit and then, on top of that, if it does hit, and then, so, if it's a medium HE, you roll 2d6 to get number of hits. So that's mm-hmm. the 4-inch template. No, the 3-inch template. And if it's the 4-inch, the heavy one, you roll 3d6 for the number of hits. And these are all, the, like, the plus penetration values. So that's, like, 3d6 hits with, like, plus 4 to hit. So, it's yeah, that's going to hit the squad. It's going to really hurt. But if you roll 10 or more, the whole building comes down. Yeah. Which and is then, why then my that.
0: Sturm Tiger goes boom. Uh, in, in first edition in particular, yeah. I used to drop yeah. buildings left, right, and center and be like, oh, you thought you had cover, buddy. Not anymore.
1: Yeah, and if the building goes down, everything inside the building is dead. So even if it's like a bigger building with like three or four different like floors and you've got three or four units spread from, they're all dead. Every last one of them, y- you're done.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's and again, Ill. flamethrowers yeah. are great um, because flamethrowers – pretty much again ignore the cover because they count as being an he weapon in that regard um, but they have the possibility of also burning the building and if the building catches fire for example it becomes impassable terrain
1: not good there's been a recent faq the, the the check to see if the building sets on fire and you need to bail out happens regardless of if the flamethrower actually hits
0: or not oh really okay that yeah. i didn't know
1: that's uh, good to know. When I, when I read it, I was like, Ugh, that's awful. And then I thought about logic and I was like, well, if the flamethrower didn't hit the guys inside the building, it definitely hit the building somewhere. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. It doesn't take much for a building to go up in flames. So, um, yeah, flamethrowers flame and HE are just are def- make buildings very scary places to be. But if you are able to avoid those threats, suddenly it's a very good place to be because then you're getting you're getting the hard cover and you also get extra protection. So you get to, it's the same rule as a gun shield which means you count as um, your opponent needs one extra dice roll to hurt you than they normally would. It so you, to kill a regular, you need a five. To kill a veteran, you need a six. So actually, if, if you can avoid HE and flamethrowers, they're about the safest place you can be.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, let's talk a little bit, uh, an effective way besides using HE, um, which is a really easy way to get people out of buildings. Um, but let's talk about assaulting buildings. If you assault, obviously, it counts as being in cover. Uh, so... Yeah. Combat is simultaneous, and if you win, you push the unit out of the building, and you yourself you. can go in. Is that so, correct? If,
1: yeah. So if you if you win, the unit inside dies, and then oh, sorry, you get your D six. Mean. Yeah, you get your D six consolidate from the point of entry that you was going to go into the building, and then you can either choose to go in the building or do something else. Just yeah. run up to the door, kill him, and then go and do something else if you want. Normally, though, you take the building over because you you want that you want that warm, lovely. Hardcover, extra protection, goodness.
0: <laughs> exactly. Now it does say, um, and I did forget to mention this when you were talking about this before, and I mentioned it, but I didn't. I wasn't specific about it, and that's it. Says targeting empty buildings. Players are allowed to target empty buildings with HE weapons, flamethrowers, airstrikes, or arty barrages in order to attempt to destroy it or set it on fire. I'm assuming then you would just roll to hit it like anything normally. Just from memory, uh, you just treat it like any old target. Yeah, but Obviously, yeah. no cover. Right. It's so it's, it's always
1: good to rip your rip, rip your opponent and have a good laugh if they have shot their big house or a building and missed. It's like, come on, mate. You exactly. better crook.
0: <laughs> exactly right. It's a it's a it's kind of a large yeah. target there, dude. How about you to hit it? Keep it,
1: it there. Is, is you can only fire at empty buildings like that. Yes. Now some some so he only ignores um. The the, the 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 minus terrain modifiers, mm-hmm. the hardcover for a building, they still take, you know, small team moved pins, you know, down into account and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I've seen some people try and circumnavigate that and go, well, I'm going to fire at the floor without anyone on it so I can right. get a freeze and then hit easily. That's not how it works. If no. there's anyone in the building at all, you need to fire at them and then take all those modifiers into account, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm... No, cheap, no cheap wins.
0: I'm glad you said that because down really does. And this is one of the reasons why down is particularly useful uh in this situation because you that minus two does go into effect. I,
1: I've seen this a lot where I'll point my big howitzer at a building and I'll say, right, you're over open sites, I'm hitting you on freeze. If I hit and I roll 10 or more, your entire unit's dead. Do you want to go down? Mm-hmm. And they'll go, no, I'll take it. And then you hit and the unit comes down and they go, oh. I'm like, well um yeah. whereas mm. if you go down suddenly the buildings hitting you on fives rather than threes. now if they roll a 10 or more they're still going to bring the unit the building down yeah. but you've you've halved like you've cut the um the likelihood of you hit by 50 percent by going down which is a real big that's that's you know obviously you can still hit can still happen, but it that, that's a game changer because you're staying alive and the unit that's alive next turn is better than the unit's dead this turn. Exactly.
0: Now again, I haven't played a ton of buildings since first ed, because I just literally avoid them like the plague. So bear with me with this question. So now if if I had a unit in a building and you fired your howitzer, if I went down, it would be it would go to fives, as you, in your example. But would the number of hits HE hits because you roll the dice rather than laying the template. Would that have, yeah. or was that just first edition?
1: It would, so, so, so it would have, so the number, so if I say hit you with a medium howitzer and you're down and I rolled an eight, you'd take four hits.
0: Okay, cool. So it's doubly
1: beneficial a, to go down yeah. against HE. If weapons I rolled, in yeah, but if I rolled a 10, the building still comes down. Exactly. Yeah, so if, you're, if the building keeps standing, it does halve any hits that you take, so it's really good. But if it would kill the building anyway, lying down and hiding isn't going to help the building fall on you. That's still going to hurt.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, yeah. Now, there is a side case to buildings that we almost never see on a tabletop outside of scenario games. Uh, at least I don't. Uh, and maybe you do, Tof Bunkers. Bunkers yeah, are we,
1: we, we, different. We, we, Whenever we see a bunker, we, we tend to just go, shall we just use it as a building?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ditto. Because they it's brutal. Basically, instead yeah. of being minus two, it's minus four. So it's really hard to dig out. And HE weapons don't get the benefit against bunkers that they do against buildings as far as ignoring the minus. The big difference, though, is flamethrowers don't care. So, again, if you have actual bunkers on your tabletop... Uh, as it even says in the rules, flamethrowers are really handy at getting rid of units <laughs> in those. But um, again, I think I've only ever played with bunkers once, and we said never again because it was so hard to dig people yeah. out. It just yeah. led to not feeling great. Now, if you're playing a particular and, and scenario, um, I could see that if it you know, you're trying to recreate a historical moment. Uh, but if you're trying to play a balanced game on a tabletop with point levels, that can really get skewy because the units inside get such a benefit that if the attackers don't get some sort of benefit as well, um, it, it it feels really bad.
1: Especially when there's there's some theater selectors like the Atlantic War one in the German book that gives them a free bunker. Yeah, exactly. And suddenly you put you put a, you put an eighty-eight in there and, and laugh, and it's just. So the, the the rule here, I'm, I'm reading the bunkers now, page 127, if you're following along mm-hmm. at home, is HE weapons, if they hit, you get the pins, they don't do any damage. Yeah. So, and that, so if you're firing, if you're in a bunker and someone's firing a medium howitzer at you, the only time it's going to physically hurt you is if they roll a 12 or more, and that physically destroyed the bunker. Otherwise, you're going to take some pins and then just sit there on your merry way because your bunker's just going to rebound. shots off it's so you can sit there going down do some rallies just stay alive and unless the opponent's got a flamethrower or they dare to charge you you're just going to sit there happily
0: (laughs) yeah but if half your army if half of your uh, army is able to focus fire in and your opponent isn't able to rally for some reason you can pin them out um but given that rally now allows you to rally with you know when you roll the dice to rally you're not counting pins towards that yeah. It, it's very unlikely these days and,
1: and you got to focus if you focus firing your whole army well guess what the opponent's got an army too yeah exactly so. <laughs> exactly yeah yeah we, we, that's why we just we, we yeah we, we try and avoid bunkers just, just for that exact reason, it, 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 it slows the game down. It's the, it's the nice way of saying it, and downright ruins it. It's the horrible way of saying it.
0: Yeah, like it just leads to a lot of feel-badsies, because yeah. you know, in order to deal with that squad, you really need to focus way more fire than you would normally, and in the process, as Tof said, you are literally ignoring the rest of your opponent's army, probably to your detriment. So yeah. not a good call. Well, let's jump back to regular buildings for a sec. Um, And I know that's bad radio to jump to the next subject and then jump back, but YOLO. Tov let's talk a little bit about another way to get rid of buildings and possibly my favorite way. Let's talk about how to get rid of a vehicle, sorry, a building with a vehicle without using a gun.
1: Just drive a tiger through the front door. Just, just, Just put it in high gear, just
0: go for it. I mean, we've all seen the war movie, right, where the tank drives through a wall or drives through a building, and it's so badass. And bolt action being a cinematic rule set is perfect for that. So explain to us how you can do it, because not everyone can do it, right?
1: Well, so you need to be a heavy or super heavy tank to do it. Mm-hmm. So immediately, that's going to cut out 99% of the vehicles you're going to see on the table. Yes. Because <laughs> you know, if you did bring a heavy tank, ti- if you brought a Tiger... 400 points. Do you really want to waste it driving it through a a building and potentially messing it up? Mm -hmm. Like, it's fun, but But. you're probably better off
0: just firing the gun at it, to be honest. (laughs) Exactly, right?
1: Yeah, so we'll we'll go through it, but I'm just saying it now you probably wouldn't want to do it. So, yeah, first first you have to pass an order check at minus three to do a run order with your tank. So because mm-hmm. the, the the tank commander doesn't want to do it, he thinks it's a stupid idea. Why are you damaging the Tiger <laughs> tank by throwing it through a building? But you know,
0: why would I want to scratch ignore, my tick my paint? Come on, man. Took me a That's long time far. to put this uh, whitewash on.
1: Follow my orders, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so because it's a run, the tank needs to be nice nicely lined up because it can't do any uh, turns as it runs. Mm-hmm. So you need to do prepare a turn in advance, run straight in. So. If, assuming you're lined up properly assuming you passed your test because your tank commander's got good ideas you then need to compare dice rolls so the tank rolls d6 and then adds their armor value so an armor value for a tiger is 10 plus so you'd roll d6 plus 10 and then compare values if it's a super heavy tank it's 11 plus d6 and then you compare and then the building rolls to see how well it does defensively
0: which I love this exactly this right if it's it defends its building, honor
1: yes yeah. exactly if it's, a, if it's a wooden building it's you roll 2d6 so if it's like a little chalet a little wooden building it's 2d6 versus the tigers 10 plus d6 <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't know how good your maths is but there's a there's a clear winner there <laughs> yes exactly um and if it's a brick building it's 3d6 so bricks yeah. brick building might survive but even then you're gonna have to roll pretty well to not come down um here we go so if we go on forward so uh, if the buildings if the building wins the fight um if it's a wooden shack only super beneficial van- damage can be caused so that's like um you rolled on the damage table at minus three so you might break a track it might catch fire that's hilarious i don't mm-hmm. know what caused the tank to catch fire but i approve exactly um, right <laughs> yeah yeah and the the tank manager, the tank model is just placed in front of the building, having failed to demolish it, feeling very sorry for itself. I was going to say
0: I've do, I've once done that with a tiger. It did not feel good. No, which was like, yeah. oh, I have to sit here now. Yeah, yeah. If
1: the, if the building and the tank are equal, then it's superficial damage so again. You might break a tank. It might call. It might catch fire. Hilariously, um, if the tank wins against the building, it's removed in the same way as if you'd rolled an eleven, ten or eleven on a, on a ha. So the whole building comes down and everything inside it.
0: So where Um, do you put the tank in that particular case? Do you just run through the rest of its movement? Does it travel through
1: the building? The the tank is placed within the rubble area and comes to a halt. Okay. And show this by turning the vehicle's order to down. So this is, again, it's kind of board specific. I hope you've got a decent bit of terrain to represent it with. Mm -hmm. Um, Because sometimes the buildings are not quite, yeah. The building needs to be removed and be replaced with just like a rough ground, dense terrain area. Um, so again, if, if your buildings are glued down to the table, that's going to be difficult. And if you don't have any spare like rubble terrain to represent it with, that's also going to be difficult. So you're probably going to need to do a lo- a bit of wobbly model syndrome. and Go, Look, this represents that exactly, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, but um, so if 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 you if the tiger lost, say, against a brick building, that's uh yeah, you might lose your tank because <laughs> yeah. that's a roll the damage table.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's not good. So,
1: you know, but it's a, it's, a, it's, it's you know. You know, you might not roll that one, mm. you know. But I just like the idea of having a building beating a tank.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, let's talk about what happens if the tank wins, because I think that's what that, that's what the punters want. What, what happens if yeah. they actually succeed? Well, you so, knock uh, it so, yeah, out. The whole,
1: the, yeah, the building comes down.
0: Now, you might say, well, why would you drive a tank through a building? Well, I've done that. I drove a Tiger and a Sturm Tiger, because I love to bully with those tanks through buildings that had squads in them next to an objective. And by doing that, it's a cheap, cheerful way of knocking them, knocking the building down and killing everyone inside. Am I getting that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there's, yeah, if they're saying, if, if it's a particularly big building and you've got two or three, four units in there, you can only shoot at one, but mm-hmm. you can ram
0: all of them. <laughs> and, if, and if, for example, you have a big cat that's got a couple pins on it, You may have, an in in the case I'm thinking of, again, this is an edge case, but I had an officer standing behind a tiger. So I knew that I had, even though it had, I think, three pins on it. So I had the officer bonus to pass an order check, but not to get rid of the pins. So hitting the guys in the building would have been a problem, and I needed them to go um, because it was, I think, the last turn of the game. So what I did was I just... Because I was already pointing my tank at the building, I was simply able to pass my order test and then just drive the tank straight in. But again, I had to pass that order test. Yeah. But I didn't yeah, have the minuses to hit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so Sometimes you need, to, you need to get moving as well. So if it's a game where you need to get off the board, say, yes. and you can't stand around just shooting, you need to move. So you need to keep moving. And going through a building may be the way to do that if because yeah. obviously with the one inch rule you can't go with an inch of an enemy sometimes mm-hmm. it is it's an edge case because how many times do you you're gonna have a tiger doing this exact thing no oh, i know there's, exactly there's right merit. and sometimes you're losing anyway you want to have some fun In which case that's the best reason to go do it
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> right now that everyone loves a little bit of uh demolition derby it's um, like you you may be you may be winning
1: but i just drove my tiger through a building so who's the real winner here exactly <laughs>
0: Exactly, well, let's. There's one thing that I always, that I almost always forget. But any tank that survives driving into a building, no matter what the result, it always takes one more pin. In the same way as tanks surviving a collision, um, so you always need to remember to add an extra pin after you've done this maneuver, uh, because again, it isn't exactly like driving down an empty road, is it? It does take a little bit. It does have a little bit of an effect on the crew even if they don't take damage, right? So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not, you know, not always
0: the uh, safest idea.
1: No. But it is fine.
0: Well, Toph, let's also talk about something that sort of circles back to the beginning of the episode when talking about artillery pieces, you cannot move artillery pieces into buildings now you can move like mortars into buildings no problem but you can't move anything that counts like an at gun or a a howitzer of any variety or even a multi-launcher you cannot move those into a building during the course of a game they must start in the building right
1: yeah yeah. they can deploy them in the building and you can only deploy things in buildings if the entire building is within your deployment zone so if there's a, if 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 half the building is is outside your deployment zone, they can't go in there. And if you want to deploy a howitzer in the, in the building, um, for a start, they because they're in, they won't be able to rotate with their advance order. It, they have to pick a fixed position that they're mm-hmm. pointing the gun out of, and that's where they are for the game.
0: Again, Unless you can is, envision that yeah. there's they've cut a hole in the wall or they've stuck the barrel through a window. It's not like they can just turn the barrel of the gun um through a wall that just yeah, doesn't work it's, right
1: it's not something i would normally do because you're limiting your you're limiting your ability to tra- traverse and as we've discussed being in a building can be a death trap oh yeah if your opponent's got the right toys so i i, I made the mistake of getting excited in in, in, in if, 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 if a couple of years ago and putting an 88 eight in, a, in a building which is the worst idea i ever did don't do that children yeah, don't, don't do, do
0: that, that. <laughs> definitely don't do that yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Well, now that we mentioned multi-launchers and buildings in the same sentence, let's continue that thought by going the other way. What happens when you take, because I know this is one of those controversial, uh, people get salty about moments with buildings. How do multi-launchers work when firing at buildings?
1: So normally a multi-launcher targets an enemy unit and then every unit that's within six inches of the blast template then is also potentially hit. Now, because you don't have blast templates against buildings, you instead refer to the, the the footprint of the building itself. Which means if you target a multi-launcher at a building, every unit within six inches of that building is a potential target. And then if you roll the dice and you get a six, it's a hit. Which means if it's a particularly big building, yeah. you can cover a lot of ground. And the end, going back, you're allowed to target if a building's empty. You can target it with the with the. I'm honestly, sir, I'm just trying to blow the building up. Well, come on, we all know because that building's in the middle of your whole army. Exactly. And I'm going to get more units down that way. Uh, so <laughs> the one thing, if you're doing that though, you cheeky cheeky person, is mm-hmm. it you still need to, rule to see if you actually hit the building in case you do accidentally, you know, blow it up and ruin your own fun.
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> so, right.
1: <laughs> there is there is a saving grace, which is there is a rule that if a building is more in like in size than say a six inch square no bigger than eight inches by eight inches, you do need to split the building up. So if your opponent say, okay, we'll have half a building there and half a building there. Specifically so you can't say run in one side and then because your building's 12 inches long, run out the other side and suddenly cover three foot in yeah. one dice roll. <laughs> so luckily I say this, it's only going to be at most like an 18 inch radius. Multi launcher shot.
0: It's still horrendously big. <laughs> right? <laughs> In a bolt but at least a game, it's not huge. Yeah, at least it's not 24 inch radius. <laughs> oh, very true. Very true. Now, you do need to uh, specify that before you fire the multi launcher, which part of a large building you are aiming at, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So if it's like a big church where you've got like a steeple and like, a, like an entrance hall and then like a big hall like that, you'd have to say, I'm firing at the hall. Or the steeple, in which case, if because every other section of that building is within six, six inches, you'd have to then roll for every single part in case you
0: accidentally bring down a church tower if you're never worth it. Um, oh. These things
1: happen, you know, don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they do. I hadn't even thought of that, but of course, that works that way as well. Uh. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, accidental damage is quite <laughs> a
1: big thing. Um, and yet, so sometimes people catch themselves out because they go, ha, oh, I'm going to hit that big building. But if then, you catch yourself by accident because you can't... If, if the multi launcher would be within six of one of your own units, it's an auto-miss for everything. Because, unfortunately, your troops don't want to shoot at their own at their own team. Unfortunately, I know. Yeah. I asked them so Sad, nicely. I just, right? no, I'll
0: never do
1: it. Yeah, I know, the scavenger player in me hates it. Hate it.
0: <laughs> this may be the one time, with shooting at buildings <laughs> and the units around buildings, that heavy katushas suddenly sound really good. I guess you would wreck your own building. Never mind. I just... Uh... I'd, yeah, I need more coffee. You need clearly. to eat it first.
1: I'll take those odds. Yeah, exactly,
0: right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Throw enough dice, yeah. something's gonna stick, so, right? So
1: yeah, overall, like buildings are both really good and and yeah, they're really scary. I guess it's like work. If you're gonna get into a building, just be aware of the threats around you yeah. because you don't wanna get into a building and then have your opponent go, "I've got four flamethrowers here in two houses pointing at you." What are you gonna do now? I go oh, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so just scout out for threats. <laughs> but if
0: your opponent doesn't have any of those weapons, then yeah, go go ahead. I mean, oftentimes in uh, in recent games, in recent years, I just use buildings as line of sight blockers and just uh, you know advance up or run up to the edge of them, just like I would dense terrain. So I'm getting cover. Um, but likewise, I don't actually move into the building. I set up little traps around the building or maneuver around the building to then shoot at my opponent. And if they happen to move into said building, I punish them to death with extreme prejudice uh, for doing so. And yes, that does mean um, I'll often to get rid of them. I'll often then assault them in the building and then back back yeah. out of the building and say, nope, not going in there. Not going to do that uh, because that's a trap. And uh, I'm definitely not going to do that.
1: Sometimes I'll use them as a, like a leapfrog. So
0: yeah.
1: one turn I'll run into the building in, in one side of the building. And then the next turn immediately afterwards i'll run out the building on the other side of the building so i've, I've only done two run orders but i've got two foot of movement plus the width of the building yeah which exactly. when you're trying to get to an objective is actually like that, that those four or five inches can really add up um so but obviously I'll get out as quick as I can. I don't stay there. No, and if someone doesn't. does catch me, mm-hmm. I go down because I do not want to be hit with
0: a heavy howitzer. Exactly. Oh, God. <laughs> well, that's also a situation where you might do it, you might do that if you can with one of your last dice in a turn and then yeah. jump out in the very first dice of your of the next turn depending on what's happening on the tabletop just to again minimize the number of opportunities your opponent has to shoot and
1: and being a being able to manipulate your dice that way and keep get your troops where they need to be in the safest way possible is that's how you play ball action that's that's the the, the key is knowing which orders to do at what point in the game and Mm -hmm. to keep things safe and keep things
0: alive now, before some of you rub your greedy little paws together and get really excited about the idea of leapfrogging, and yes, I do, this is a great tactic, you should also remember if you're looking at that giant church in the middle of a board that's three feet long, that isn't one building, kids. As tove said a minute ago, you need to yeah. break it into segments prior to the game's beginning because large buildings, you need to be broken in. Now, what that means is each turn when you move, you can move within that building but you move one segment at a time. It's like entering a new building each time. So you cannot move from one end of the building. So for example, if it's a three-segment long building, if you're in one eight-inch segment, when you move into the middle one, again, you're running, so you're not shooting out of the sides. Am I getting that right, tough I think so.
1: Um, it, they, they, they just say they split them up into like building sections um now running troops not have to move through two sections at once so you'd be only be able to move one and there is rules i think you can advance like between sections so if it's like a floor from the first
0: floor to the second floor oh so it is advanced over i think you can let me just just
1: seriously i actually just found it hold on
0: (laughs) um and it uh, so units inside buildings must be given orders in the usual way an advanced order can be used to either leave the building or to move from one floor to another or to move into an adjoining building, or to, in all cases, to shoot as well, which is usual for advance. So you can move from segment to segment. Um, yeah. if And then the next, and then the, shoot. The next
1: a, a, yeah, a, a run order can be used to, to either leave the building to move up or down two floors or to move up to two adjoining buildings so with go. a run order. So yeah, so you, you can advance through one side to another, yeah.
0: Yeah, and the large buildings do count as a series of adjoining buildings, if I'm understanding that right. Right.
1: Yeah. What you can't do though is is you if you do a run order to leave the building, you have to leave the section you're in. So you can't do like a run order to go to another section and then leave it. So you can't. You 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 can only leapfrog one section at a time. Basically, you're only ever going to get more eight inches of extra movement. You're not gonna. You're not. You're not doing anything. funny you're not going to get 16 inches of movement because you go ha, ha! it's not happening yeah exactly <laughs> <Stop right? it. laughs> perfect
0: well Tove, i i hate to say it i think we've covered cover terrain
1: i mean i mean we, we could literally go on for another million years like right. the, 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 all the intricacies and all the little bits of bobs and it, it as i say as i said at the start it's just really hard to comprehend when you, because it's all good of saying, oh yeah, you can leap probably into a building one, one side, come, go one side, come out the other. but what does that actually look like on the table? Yeah. And what can you, how can you actually use that to improve your game? And that's a, from via a podcast medium, that's really difficult to like convey. So I guess it's kind of just like, go ahead and prosper. You know what I mean? Take, take it and then go and try it out and see, see what happens. And
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I've had people ask, uh, how do I get better at this? And I think the only way is just practice. Again, I know I'm super rusty on buildings because I'm not necessarily using those rules. But as far as like advancing in and out of cover, rough terrain, trees, how roads work, all of that is stuff that I do in every single game of Bolt Action that I play. And I'm very used to answering questions about that because I'm constantly doing it. Practice, practice, practice. And if you um, if you want to get better using these rules, if you really want to understand them, as you play the game, circumstances will happen. Like Toph's talking about, those weird corner cases or, you know, just situations you go, wait, how does that work? And then it it is – I know that sometimes people, you know, treat um, the rule book almost like like it's a hot potato. Like, ooh, I can't touch that. Like, ooh, ha, ah, don't want to do that. <laughs> um, if you open a book, if you're not clear on the rules, uh, if you and your opponent want to open a book, it's not bad sportsmanship. I mean, it depends on how you do it, obviously. But if you say, hey, I, I'm not clear on this part. Can we look that up real quick? Like, If you just say that and you go through the rules and you read it together and you have a discussion like mature adults, guess what, kids? Um, you can usually figure it out. And if not, you know, dice off. Um, and if you're <coughs> an event, talk to a T.O., Because the TO is your non-biased person. You can call a TO over and have a conversation about a rule. Um, Now, there is often going to be my side and their side, but it doesn't have to be adversarial. It can be conversational, and you just say, cool, all right, well, I learned something here. And the TO may make a ruling that you later find out has been covered in an FAQ or something. It's not the TO, again, the TO is not trying to ruin your day by saying this. They're trying to make a fair Decision that will keep the game going in a positive manner because they maybe don't know either, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I always think, like, I so I've played a lot of bolt action, like, a lot of bolt. I've been to a lot of the tournaments, a lot of events. I've played people from multiple countries, and and you know what? I still every time at every event, I'll learn something new. They'll be like, didn't know that because. You got the faqs you've got the rule books and there's always that little niggling sentence just oh that little thing you never read before which mm-hmm. just completely upends everything and just 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 playing games and you know what getting caught out some though it doesn't always feel the best sometimes the best way to learn because you'll think i ain't, ain't letting that happen again you know yeah. um
0: no, man, um, experience yeah. is a harsh mistress sometimes, but if you use it as an educational tool, it's the best way to learn, right? You won't make that mistake Absolutely. twice. And oftentimes Absolutely. when I'm playing games with friends and friendly games, we'll start playing, and um, they'll say, oh, do you want to take that back when, you know, I've made a mistake? I'll say, nope, this is the only way I'm going to remember it going forward is those, corner, like, those situations where I go, oh, wow, I really got my junk kicked in there. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, I'll remember that next time, won't I? so that is a good way to learn as well
1: um, i think just, and making things easy for yourself by just at the start of your game saying you know here's what the terrain is here's how we're going to play and having that conversation up front and then after that conversation every time you make a move state your intentions you know what i mean because then if you just say look i'm going to try and get in this cover and i want all of them to be in hard cover and i want to be able to shoot you out openly because exactly. then your opponent as long as they're not a complete and a you know, word I won't, I won't use. They'll go, all right, mate, let me help you move them. Here's how you need to do it. That's what I will do. You know, and you you know, I'm the cheesiest beardiest competitive gamer you'll find and I'll help you. You know, you'll be fine. But you know, if we're all, everyone, no one wants to get caught out and no one wants to win because someone got caught out. So rising, rising tide raises all boats and all, and all that. Exactly.
0: And you may be a competitive player and I definitely like a good game as well. I mean, The way to really, like, there's a misconception that competitive gamers are win at all costs and that they only want to win. And, you know, the easier game they can get, the better, because it means that they're more guaranteed of a win. But I guarantee if I ask Tofer the next question, you would prefer that the person you play against knows their stuff and knows it well, because it means that you're going to get a better game, Right. Oh, oh god yeah
1: we go like i i get i play hundreds of pounds and get on a flight and go to the wcc to play the World Two championships because i want to play good players Exactly. Right? like if i just wanted to go and just get easy wins i'd just go to a local local shop tournament you know what i mean but guess what that's not how that's not how it works like, like no, no, no yeah people like that they're, they're not competitive players they're just prats <laughs> you know yeah frankly they're just they're just prats and, and and people like that just ruin games everywhere yeah, I won't get on my heel horse because I could, I could go on a rant now. But like, they're not. yeah. <laughs>
0: how do you really feel, to <laughs> Well, hold on. I just Let's... want to
1: play bolt action. I just want to have fun. Exactly.
0: Well, I do have a terrain question, but I really want to follow up what we're talking about and I'll come back to one last terrain question. But before we get that, I want to ask you something that I've been asked a number of times. Again, how do I get better at bolt action? I used to play bolt action very competitively. Um, I... I went to several large events. I did very well. I won a couple, et cetera, et cetera. People asked me at the time, how do I get better at this? Now, you are someone who plays in a lot of events, who wins a lot of events. Um, now, my advice, if you are looking to become a, a better player, whether that be a competitive player or just a better bolt action player, if you just want to know what's going on, feel comfortable on the tabletop, is exactly what I said a minute ago, is practice. Now, I did mention uh, a club that I was a member of back in my 40K days when I played hyper-competitively, which was uh, the Golden D6, um, Alistair Unicom, and a few, quite a few other people were members at the time. But we got together every week, and we would set up our tables, and we would set up our armies, and we'd start playing, and we would have hard conversations about what's going on throughout the game, not hard isn't difficult, but have the, well, what happens if I moved here? What would the rules be in this particular case? So as situations are arising on the tabletop, we would talk through it, we would be ready so that we are always learning from each game. At the end of each game, we would always sit down and look at one another and say, okay, what do you think I did well there? What do you think, was there a particular moment when you saw and you went, aha, he made a mistake. Um, what were those moments going back and forth? And that those conversations, when you can see through your opponent's eyes at the things that you've done, you may not do things. You may have tells or you may have habits in the game that your opponent might be exploiting that you may not be aware of. If you're able to have those conversations, especially if it's with a regular opponent um, or group of people who You know, are also have the same mindset. It can be really valuable to get those insights. Particularly, um, I mean, we would also play games where we would get to a certain point and be like, "Okay, you've obviously won this." And it wasn't a ha ha ha, I'm winning the game. It's it was more from a practice standpoint, and it would be okay re rack. So we it was what we used to say, which is a billiards term with putting the balls back. So we'd yeah. go back to deployment and try again. And in some cases, we'd redeploy to the exact same spots we started and then try again. And we'd have these and we would replay parts of the battle to get different results depending on going different ways. And so it really does give you that experience. Now, tof I know that you are part of the Juggernauts, not only the podcast, but the podcast is – part of the juggernaut club now you guys run tons of events but more importantly i think for you guys you meet weekly right and you play yeah, constantly yeah. are you yeah. are you jiving with what i'm saying here would you agree with yeah, what no, i'm saying there? that
1: is exactly how how it, it's just it's just practice it's it's turning up you know on 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 your week on on tuesday, tuesday night's club night turning up and saying look i've got a tournament in three four weeks I want to practice with my list and and that's your time to to practice to iron things out find out what works find out what doesn't work make those stupid mistakes and try the stupid thing because you never know and 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 then you know and then to, and then once you go to the event and then to reflect afterwards and go right what did work what didn't work and it's just it's just it's 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 just a time it's a time investment thing, you know and 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 not everyone has the time unfortunately because right. you know lives get in the way yeah. and it, it and it is hard when you when when you want to you want to do well, but you know you can only get to club once a month it, it, it so it, it is a difficult one, but practice 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 is 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 what what works for me and thinking out the box as well don't be afraid to make the stupid mistake because as i say if you do make the stupid mistake well then you know for next time you won't do it again and if it somehow works maybe you've just come up with a new tactic that no one else is going to see coming you know it's it's, exactly definitely don't try one thing and i know this ironically as as a juggernaut with the podcast where we talk about competitive play is don't necessarily let someone tell you how to do it (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know like everyone, everyone plays differently everyone has their own style what works for you may or may not work for someone else it's why some people just try and like check list chase and just say oh well i've heard i've heard gurkhas are great so i'm gonna have 50 of them it's like well that's you no know, okay then but if you're not the sort of player who wants to go and run and charge stuff gurkhas are going to be a bit wasted on you mm-hmm. so you know Find what works for you, find your play style, practice and have fun with it. Like, you know yeah. what, like, if you're just going to, if you're just going to chase and chase and try and try and it just kills your buzz, like, don't do it. Like, you can go to a, you, you can go to a tournament and lose every game and still enjoy yourself because like, Amen. there's more to it than, than just, um, than just kicking, kicking ass. Cause guess what? You can drive your tiger through a building. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. And there is is an argument. Now, I have heard people say, oh, I'm tired. It's been a long week. As a primary school teacher, believe me, I understand more than most um, what it's like to be tired if you happen (laughs) to know that a game club is meeting on a Thursday night and you've had four hard days in a classroom, you know, particularly report writing time of year and you just want to die. And you're like, you know, I just no, 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 I need to conserve my energy for Friday. You may be too tired, but keeping in mind, Bolt action is an intensive game. And if you ever play in an event of bolt action where you're playing, you know, two, three, four games in a day, you're going to be fried by that last game no matter what. So going in and playing a couple games when you're mentally tired, getting that muscle memory up, even though you might make stupid mistakes, even though you might be tired, it might be perfect. That might be the perfect time to do some practice because you're not at your freshest. I know that the difference between when you sit down to play a game of bolt action, it's your first bolt action game of the day, and your third, that's a different mental activity. Bolt action events can be marathons mentally, and going in and practicing when you're tired might be beneficial as well, right?
1: And, and like the, the, the cutoff for day two is absolutely, you know, if it's a two-day tournament, the, 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 the people who come back on the Sunday morning, you, there's a notable drop-off. From some people mm-hmm. who just clock out because they've been up drinking the night before, they've just had a long day, three days. So I've got to do two more rounds, uh, you know. And we notice in 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 the UK, and that's all answer around, that the players who who do best are the ones who were able to keep keep going mm-hmm. in just endurance if nothing else exactly. and, and you're right so you're right bolt action it's not some some games like you know if you're playing like the latest 40k or something when it's your opponent's turn you can just sit there and just go yeah i'm gonna remove some models mm-hmm. you don't get that in bolt action it's never not your turn so those two and a half hours are a constant two and a half hours so if you can practice at least to the point where you don't have to think too hard about the easy stuff because that bit's kind of muscle memory you only have to think about the hard bits if nothing else you're just saving your brain
0: exactly well I I remember back to a 40k event way back when uh a complete fanatic I think it was it was it was a games workshop run event it was you know it was there's a big prize pool it was a big deal and I was playing on one of the top tables at the end and my opponent was Lee Carpenter uh brilliant guy wonderful painter uh but he went because he'd been playing all day and this was old school 40k so it was not even nearly as mentally draining but he was you know Tired and a little bit stressed and was like cool I'm just gonna go out for a cigarette break I trust you With your roles like we'd known each other for Years wasn't a big deal like he Knew I wasn't gonna shift him but For my turn he literally went outside For a cigarette for 20 minutes while I did My turn because he didn't want to take up my game turn it was the weirdest experience i've had in all my years <laughs> so of weird game war weird. gaming playing at a top table I, against I w- myself i
1: wouldn't know what to, i wouldn't know what to do in my life you know yeah, i'll just sit like, there having an existential crisis <laughs> i
0: was like what am i doing what am i what am i doing but i literally had a to come over to watch my die rolls because i was like i want someone to watch this yeah, like i don't course. feel good about this but literally it it drew an underline for me that i remember ever since that game where he went outside for two of our maybe even three of these breaks during the course of the game. And it was like, my opponent doesn't even need to be here for this. During my turn, I'm just sitting here. During his turn, you know, and it was just like, yeah. you've got to be kidding me. Um, and he was like, yeah, just roll my armor saves. It's cool. Don't worry about it. But bolt action is far more <laughs> intense. Now, something yeah. to, I do know, and I do want to finish the example that I said a second ago where you might go, oh, oh I like. I'm really too tired for this. Oftentimes, when I push myself into actually going for that Thursday night game, I go to work Friday reinvigorated like it gets my juices flowing. I think, wow, you know, I was really tired and worn out yesterday. But just the fact that I took a break and I did something that I love playing bolt action and then having a good time, even if it's tiring, even if I was tired, even if you know I didn't win the game, doesn't matter. I still got to play bolt action, you know, and then the next day. You know, I'm, I got that buzz going into uh, school on a Friday. And, you know, people noticeably like, wow, Brad, you look really happy today. It's like, yep. And, you know, I'm not going to go into I played Mandollies last night and it was great. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, it can be really good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I, I, I need my Tuesday nights to get yeah. me through the week. My, my, my wife actively will tell me off if I don't go to clubs. Like, you need to go to club because yeah. otherwise you're going to be a nightmare and I don't want to be around you. So go and roll <laughs> dice to your friends. I'm like,
0: fine. Okay. Roll dice. <laughs> Twist my arm, but,
1: but you know Like you know, if, if if we've got a tournament coming up, and if we've been testing lists out and testing ideas, and, and, and then you know, Tuesday night, come Wednesday morning, I don't know if this is a, this is probably the same for multiple like gaming groups. that we have like a WhatsApp chat. Yeah. That WhatsApp chat will be on fire mm. when we're all supposed to be working, and we're all just like, oh, what about that? What about that? What about that? <laughs> and it just like keeps the keeps the um keeps the brain ticking because then you spend all day thinking about lists, and you go home going, what about that? What about
0: that? Yeah. <laughs> well, also, and you'll, be,
1: and you'll be like, can't wait for next week.
0: You, but you. Can- you You can also learn from your your clubmates' experiences as well. If you are listening to what they're saying and what happens in their games, you go, wait, wait, what happened? How does that work? And then you crack open the rule book and you're learning from that as well. If you're engaging in those conversations, that's another great way um, by jumping in a group. And if you don't have a group like that, and yes, Toph, I'm going to say it, please don't shudder too audibly here. Um, You can go to Facebook and there's a number of great (laughs) Facebook bolt action groups (laughs) that you can post on. Uh, and have a conversation about it. Not not everyone might be pleasant on there's, there's, all of those there's conversations. There's
1: different groups. There's, di- there's lots of groups out there. Yeah. I'm going to be very positive now. There's lots of different groups that cater to different sort of people. So there's a botish and competitive group. You've yeah. got the main group. I'm pretty sure there's like, there's most local areas have their own group. And then you've got Discord servers as well. You've got the yeah. Juggernaut server. There's a Warlord server, and there's loads of diff- like there is a community out there that you can go and talk shop with. Exactly. You know, and most people are really nice and friendly. If you just go, on, if you just go in any of these groups, go. Here's what I'm thinking. Yeah. You know, you'll always get someone going. Oh, here's, here's a tip? You know, here's a here's a is here's a is a uh, you know a bit of advice. It, it may be rubbish. Who knows? But yeah. you know, that's where it's come to you to work out what works for you and what you want to try. Exactly. But just keep 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 the keep the the, the ball action
0: hobby flowing. That's it, baby. That's it. Well, I am gonna I'm gonna ambush you with one last question about terrain, <laughs> and uh, this is sort of the giant underline. Now I know that when again going back to when um, the Melbourne scene was kicking off, we were pulling terrain together to play on, and it wasn't always the best or the most appropriate World War II terrain. But over the years, um, I've accumulated now. After Christmas of this year, I may be on 11 or 12 full tables of bolt-action terrain. But I know that I used to get comments um, when I ran events of, ah, oh, is that all the terrain that you run? Uh, oh, why don't you have more? Or, ah, oh, that's too much. There, there, there's always a debate about how much terrain should go on a table. Now, as someone who likes to run local events, I like to have a variety. I think you should have some tables that have, uh, you know, it shouldn't be a blank tabletop. We're not playing Warhammer Fantasy here, right? You should have terrain on every tabletop, but you should have some terrain that is more open, and you should have some tables that are uh, a lot less open. Um, You know, those Stalingrad tables with all the giant ruined buildings around, or, um, you know, and and everything in between. Toe, is there a a sweet spot for you for terrain, um, or does it sort of vary
1: it, it does it does vary and I, I i know exactly what you're talking about there'll be an event and then someone will put on put, take those of pictures of tables and they'll put them on you know box facebook and go look mm-hmm. at this tournament and you will get a 100 comments going oh that's not right but the problem is is and I, i'm guilty of this as much as the next person you look at pictures and you go oh that's awful and then you turn up at the the event the next day and it's actually it's fine in person yeah right? you know it's it's taking t- seeing a picture and then actually being there and playing on it are two completely <laughs> separate things so it does make it hard and then you have got personal taste as well some people just like more terrain some people just like less terrain and so there's a sweet spot for us um but we and we but again we do time vary it the Stalingrad board is not going to have anywhere near as much terrain uh, it is going to have more, far more terrain on it than yeah. the desert board for instance um we mainly we tend to make sure that the terrain doesn't opens up multiple options for instance so like as an example coming back to the river we make sure there's multiple crossing points over it. Exactly. Um, if we're putting roads down, we make sure that there's bends in the road. We make sure that there's you can't just run from one side to the other. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the kind of thing we look out for in terms of like how much terrain. It's usually a, like a look right kind of thing. We want to we want to make sure that there's not just wide open areas where you're going to get stuck with no nearby cover. E- even on, like, an airfield board, which is traditionally quite open, we'll make sure there's some crashed planes around. We'll make sure that there's yeah. some, like, radar dishes or towers or something just to make sure that there are places that you are you can hide. And we want to make sure there's a variance as well. You want some soft cover, some hard cover, some dense cover, some open cover, you know. Um, but, it, it, yeah, I'd it, say, I mean... Well, but just go and have a look at pictures online at various tournaments, not just ones I run, but like and and see the wide range of boards out there. Um because yeah, the, it's it's a hard one to describe, especially over podcasts, and especially when everyone's got their own preference, and especially when pictures don't always convey the mm-hmm. the the message. Um like, I definitely know what I think is is not enough, but that's probably not a useful metric to anyone, really. No, exactly because... right. It, it, and it comes down to what you've got as well. It's all good. Me going, you need more terrain. Well, if you've got no, if that's what you've got and that's, that's what you got. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. And I mean, you guys have done a good job in recent episodes talking about um, you did a whole episode on how to find and build cheap terrain to populate your tables. How can yeah, you yeah. help people? And that was a great episode. Um, because oh, really, that, uh, I'm putting together, as I said, I got a bunch of terrain for Christmas. I got a bunch of mats for Christmas. And so when I was putting together scatter train, I was like, oh yeah, there's some great ideas in there. I'm going to steal some of those and, uh, use that on some of my new stuff. And yeah, there are, depending on what kind of train, obviously that you're setting up for, there are different ways of doing it. So there are great YouTube channels, um, that Mel, the terrain, was it the Train tutor? Uh, it's uh, the
1: ter- is he the, t- the terrain tutor? Yeah, yep. terrain tutor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's
0: been Melbous. He's been on the show. I can't believe I just blanked on the name of the show. It is the terrain <laughs> tutor. He does awesome stuff. That, but there's a million if you though. just if you just go to YouTube and and search that up. Um, there's about a million great things. And of course, um, Toph. I'm gonna put you on the spot. Do you remember which episode you guys talked about terrain? Um, it was literally the last one. Oh, was it? Uh, okay. was let it? me let
1: me give you an episode number. Now you're really putting it on was the part.
0: uh, the it was like My Little Pony, the the Polish,
1: yeah, uh, it was Codex My Little Pony episode yeah. 36. There you go, there you go. We, we like to put the silly names on just to keep you on your toes,
0: keep you on your toes, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, when we start naming My Little Pony episodes, I think it's probably time to roll out, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> if you are looking for bolt action conversation and uh, you're looking for podcasts. If you haven't found the Juggernauts, they are a particular brand of competitive. Uh, at sometimes not the most family-friendly tone. We're definitely show. we are
1: not. It, we are absolutely not safe for work. I will tell you now. We because we record the show, and the and the the premise is it's like how would you talk if you're at the pub around the pint with four of your mates? Exactly. You're going to be absolutely obnoxious because that's what men are like. That's how we record our
0: show.
1: Right. <laughs> and it reflects that. But it's all it's all good natured. It's all it's it's all fun and games. We all we absolutely we tear each other apart and are horrible to each other. We're very much like the old old LRDG, except we haven't got into trouble with anyone yet. Uh, um, <laughs>
0: <it's all. laughs> uh, we did. <laughs> <clears throat> um but hey, look, and while I, I do listen to the juggers, and while I don't always agree with the listing, um, again, we come from very different metas, opposite sides of the world. These guys know their stuff, and some of their tactical conversations are some of the best out there. So, oh, thank you, uh, man. I don't so say kind. that lightly. You guys seriously <laughs> you. tear through a book. You you dig into the minutia, but it's never dry. So, again, if you haven't checked out the, the Juggernauts podcast, um, be aware it, it it is not the family friendly show, and don't go <laughs> blasting it in front of your kids, kids. Uh just uh, family yeah. It's
1: it's when it's for the once you've dropped your kids off at school, the drive back, that's the part of the commute you can listen to the podcast. <laughs> <That's- laughs>
0: exactly. But so <laughs> the juggernaut podcast, for those of you, they are on all your favorite podcatchers. Uh, I find them on iTunes. But Toph, man, seriously, thank you so much for coming on today, man. It is always a pleasure. Uh, and Anytime. Yeah, man. It's go- I'm glad we finally got to this, right?
1: Uh, finally. Get, get, we'll, we'll do another one in another three or four years, whenever <laughs> exactly. we, our schedule's alone.
0: <laughs> there you go. And uh, I'll come on yours, and we can see how many times I can uh, – use mature language in an inappropriate manner. Oh,
1: you'll you'll love it. You'll be great.
0: You can can say all the words. uh, I am from Boston, and we do occasionally use a couple of those words. If you listen to the old LRDG, you'd know. Anyway, uh, guys, thank you so much for listening today. I know that uh, terrain and digging into exact rules isn't always the flashest, hottest uh, topics for bolt action. But I think we've covered things in a fairly light and meaningful manner today. I hope you've gotten something out of this. Um, it is nice to talk about bolt action and not just talk about what your favorite unit is or, um, you know, this, that or the other thing. To actually dig into something that is on every bolt action table. And that we all use all the time. I thought this would be a particularly useful episode. And again, I couldn't have done without Toph. Thanks, man.
1: Yay, thank you.
0: (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you have feedback for the show, if you are tired of bolt-action content, if you want more bolt-action content, if there's a particular game system uh, that you want to hear about, and I have had a couple people put in requests, I am recording one of those requests hopefully next week. uh, And it will be coming soon. Uh, There will be additional other games coming thick and fast, as well as more bolt-action content. And yes, I did promise the Warlord cast about a month ago, and a bunch of you said, well, where is it? Uh, Hopefully, that will be recorded and put out in the next week. So, knock on wood, you will hear a Warlord podcast coming soon. And of course, everything else that is on this podcast network. But ladies and gentlemen, once I start talking about stuff like that, it is probably time to call it a day. If you would like to send me a message, please go to Facebook and find Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E, and uh, shoot me a message. Let me know what you think. Well, I guess that takes us to what our old buddy Casey says. When you're playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. Thank you